everybody, and welcome to episode 72 of the Mountain Bike Podcast. Uh, I have a different host with me this time. My man. <laughs> <laughs> what's up, Derek Teal? Hey, what's up, guys? Sorry, Steven. I'm not permanent, dude. You can come back, I promise. <laughs> Derek Teal from Dialed Health. You can find out more. Well, actually, you've been on the podcast before. That's right. A full year ago. Which is weird. Doesn't it's weird. Like that long. But in the same way, like my drive up today, because I live two hours away. Yeah. Um, came over the past. It was so like, I was just thinking about all that's happened in the last year. Yeah. You guys are like father time for me now. So <laughs> hopefully I'm back sooner than a year though. Yeah. You're going to be a dad soon. Yep. Two months. Congrats to yeah, you and your thanks, wife, man. I'm so stoked. That's pretty amazing. <laughs> yeah. So uh, lots changed. Uh, but this is the mountain bike podcast presented by worldwide cyclery, uh, the best online shop, but also an extremely knowledgeable group of dudes. Do you know them at all? Not personally. No. So you'll probably get to know them uh, soon because I think, uh, who knows, they may end up, moving or opening up a new location. So hey, we'll see who knows, but <laughs> I may have just leaked something. I'm sorry if I did, <laughs> but just the same, they know so much about bikes. They've been releasing a ton of content all the time on their YouTube channel, everything else. Um, a ton of insights into, and like discussions on new trends that are coming out, but also on specific products. If you guys want more content from mountain bike podcast, we put out as much as we can, but I'm a time strapped man and I can only do so much. That's right. Let me tell you guys, I just got a tour around <laughs> trainer road over here yeah. and, uh, your boy, Jonathan is working his tail off. And, uh, <laughs> thanks man. You know, before I forget to, I just got to say, yeah. thanks for having me up. Yeah. Um, you know, obviously I'm growing my business and trying to figure out all this stuff. Yeah. And, uh, I want to say, I genuinely look up to what you're doing and I'm thanks, stoked man. for the time today, man. It's, it's awesome. So you guys, Jonathan, Real class act, uh, loving being up here. Steven, I would say something nice about you if you were here, but you're not. <laughs> He's not. So just He's working me, too. Yeah, bring me donuts in a month, okay? <laughs> I'll see you at TDS. We'll talk about donuts later. Um, so yeah, check out everything from Worldwide Cyclery. They're awesome. They're putting out the content that we wish we could put out. They're doing it. So you should check it out. And then if you want to get parts for your bikes or for your kid, anything else like that, go to mtbpodcast.com, click on the Worldwide Cyclery banner, and then we'll get a small portion of that, that then will help us uh, do certain things. Like for example, we're planning on doing a sealant shootout in the near future. Uh, we're planning on doing a tire test also this year so that we can do some things and that sort of stuff takes money. So, uh, we'll be able to produce more content for you guys. Uh, Steven, we miss you. Uh, hopefully everything is well. He's standing on top of a dam that, uh, there, it has questionable integrity and mm. they're letting out a bunch of water right now. And I think Steven gets to stand on the thing the whole time. So <laughs> that sounds <laughs> terrifying, but, uh, Steven's been working like crazy too. Uh, and we miss him, but we're going to carry on just the same. Uh, we're going to cover some news. We're going to cover, uh, geez, we're going to cover a bunch of stuff uh, today. We're going to cover uh, some questions. We're going to go, of course, into training and yep. into a bunch of stuff like that. And then we'll finish off with a few different things, like uh, some tips. In other words, just like a products or things that we've been doing recently that help us. So, uh, first things first, let's get into the news. Let's do it. News team assemble. First bit of news is how bad I'm doing in our fantasy enduro, uh, league right now. <laughs> you can find it. Just search, look for MTB podcast on pink bikes, fantasy leagues. They have, we have an XC one, a downhill one and an enduro one. We don't have many people in there because we haven't really uh, announced it on any podcasts. Uh, but I, it looks like, uh, just a handful of you guys have found it just by searching, which is kind of funny there. So, uh, anyways, it's fun. You can win prizes too. Uh, it's all pink bike stuff. We're not offering any of the prizes, but, uh, yeah, you guys should check it out. Makes racing a little bit more fun. You can get more vested. Uh, and speaking of racing, let's cover some racing news. Let's do this. So Cape Epic happened. 
it might be the most overhyped race there is. I don't know. Uh, it just like, it doesn't look that fun to me. I just, I, okay. It's like, it's well, like, it's funny you say that cause yeah, yeah. I don't know a ton about the Cape Epic. Yeah. Um, I'm not, I don't follow the XC stuff quite as much, but every single photo I saw from it was dirty pain faces. Yeah. That's it just it. looks miserable. Like people and, collapse on the ground. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, <laughs> Lots uh, of it. there is there, there was more single track this year I heard than previous years, which is cool. Um, but it just looks brutal and it's like, you know, five hour days and it's mm. like, uh, you know, eight, and, five uh, hour days in a eight, row, five, eight, five hour days. Yeah. Yeah. Just as hard as you possibly can oh basically gosh, every day. Like four. Yeah. It's really hard. That's so, insane. I mean, I don't mean to belittle the accomplishments of those that do it. It's amazing. Don't get me wrong. But, uh, I think we all expected Nino Schurter to win. He and his teammate, they won. Mm -hmm. I think we all expected Annika Longvod to win with yep. her teammate. She won. Uh, anyways, uh, but kudos and uh, good job to Sonia Looney, friend of the podcast, who did it. Um, she it was like she treated it like a training camp this year and nice. probably got a ton of boost, probably going into super compensation, which we'll also talk about later. Yeah. Um, but there you go. Um, next bit of news Yolanda Neff the Swiss mountain bike rider with a crazy perm curls. She's awesome. And she rips on, on, she rips in every downhill in an XC race. She won a downhill race, which is crazy. Cause you wouldn't expect her to do that. Yeah. And shout out again to you, Steven, because I know if you were here, you'd say my girlfriend. <laughs> yeah, 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 exactly. <laughs> and I think, oh man, I'm probably going to get it wrong, but I, she's dating an American downhill racer and I can't remember which one it is. So this is an American downhill race. Uh, which is pretty cool to see. Uh, it was at the Southeast series in Windrock. So um, that's pretty rad to see a gal who's who's winning cross-country races. Yeah. Then she also does downhill. It's been a long time since we've seen like a multidiscipline athlete like that. It, it, that's huge because, you know, we saw Martin Mays last year uh -huh. do the downhill win in the World Cup and also the EWS. Like, did yeah. he win or did, did he get second the next weekend or? Uh, yeah, I think he won the final round. He won, I don't know, he won stages. Yeah. He was incredibly good yeah, at both. It yeah. was so cool. It, the, and it almost seems like close enough disciplines where it kind of makes sense. I mean, it's a yeah. completely absurd. Yeah. But for her to go from cross country to downhill, I mean, I think it just kind of goes to show that how <laughs> actually technically skilled these XC racers are. Yeah. Seriously. It's, it's pretty rad. And growing up a downhill racer, I've always doubted it. Yeah. And yeah. you watch them high post down something, it just doesn't look right. But I've tried to high post stuff and it's hard. It's so. terrifying. <laughs> it's like a totally yeah. unique skill that yeah. hopefully no one ever has to learn, right? Yeah. <laughs> Uh, EWS has been happening. It kicked off already. Um, Martin Mays is dominating that. Yeah. And the interesting point to that to me is the fact that he has a 29 inch front wheel and a 27, five inch rear. Oh my gosh. And for those that don't know, dirt bikes have a larger front wheel than they do a rear wheel. And in some respects, a lot of the time mountain biking just follows moto just because it's what moto guys do. And mm. it's totally like brainless following. Like, yeah. and that happens a lot. I don't know if this is the case here. Like, have you ever ridden a bike like that? Or what are your uh, opinions on mismatched wheel sizes? Okay. So cause you used to be pro for people that don't know. Um, yeah. and you're, you're, you're legit. You shred. So thank you. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So yeah, history's in downhill. Obviously, even before I downhill race, I started just watching rampage and free ride and dirt jumping <laughs> yeah. and breaking myself off all the time. But <laughs> remember the big hit with the 24 inch. Rear yeah. Wheel? Yeah. So moto side, moto style there. Totally. Especially cause it had a 12 inch front fork on it. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah. So Super monster T. Yeah. But, uh, okay. So I saw this and it's like super intriguing. And the fact that he is not only testing it, but winning on it, like so dominantly, I mean, he's almost had a clean sweep of both races combined. Yeah. Um, I think it's insane. It's equally frustrating for me because I just 
came to the big wheel side and I'm yeah. loving every second of it. Yeah, now yeah. I got to try this. So, <laughs> I mean, <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's yeah. annoying, but at the same time, I'm excited to see how sick it actually is. Cause it makes sense. He said it in an interview, but you get the rolling, um, and all the benefits in the front and then yeah. you get the party in the back with the flickability. So, yep. uh, and on the steeps, honestly, yeah. Smaller wheel on the steeps, like real steep, yep. um, double black diamond steep. It does make a difference. So it does, uh, especially when you're a smaller guy, I'm five, nine. So I noticed that. So yeah, it'll be cool to try. It would give the bike more like natural. Um, I guess it wouldn't be Ray. It could be like bro lean, right? Or like it's higher in the front and lower in the back. <laughs> bro lean. Yeah. Yeah. The <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you um, know, I'm, I'm curious to see like, how they're going to change the geometry. It has to change. It has to. And I think that he's running some sort of modified linkage or something like that. Yeah. I've heard, I don't know if he is, but, um, which would absolutely make sense. You can't just throw a 27 five on there and expect your bike to handle ideally. It, it doesn't seem right. You have to design like when engineers are designing these bikes, they understand that not only like they even have like tire sizes in mind. So when a guy runs like a two five on an XC bike, mm. It, I'm not saying that it's a bad choice, but it's not the decision that the engineer would have made for sure. Nice. Yeah. Good right? to keep in mind. Because when they're designing their bike, they anticipate that where those axles are is on top of a tire that measures a specific volume. Right. So then like, it's all very specific. So you can't just throw a smaller wheel on and send it. I, I think there's probably more to it on what he's riding. Than I think just there's like more a, to it to do it correctly. Yeah. And I can't wait to see how many people are just sending it and just putting uh, that yeah, yeah, just going to happen. Yo, pay attention to that in races yeah. this year. It's going to happen for sure. And hand guards. Yep. Thank oh, you, Sam Hill. That already started last year. Hand guards are all over the place yeah. now. Everyone's got them. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I hated hand guards in moto. I, I, it depends. Like, so if they're using like the bark buster type with like the metal bar mm. insert, that can be, I actually have seen guys where they're riding their hand slips off and then they basically acts like a cantilever almost and just snaps their forearm because their oh, arm gets <laughs> caught in between the two things, that, that bar so right gnarly. in front and then yeah. their bars. Um, so like we never wanted to run those right. in moto days. I would run like, like small brush guards, which is more common for what I've seen right. for mountain bikers. Uh, very rarely though. Uh, even then I just, I don't know. I like think how it was useful. I can think yeah. of a couple of trails where I'm like, yeah, that would have been great. It would have been but great. Yeah. Beyond that. When you know. hit a rock, it's still going to suck. Like if you like have a plastic hand guard on there, it's going to blow through the plastic. It's and hit your exactly. Hand yeah. 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 <laughs> it's not, but so I guess for branches, I don't know. I mean, I guess it's, it's, so, it's better than nothing. Maybe. I don't know. It must be, I mean, literally maybe, okay. Cause we got to give Sam Hill the credit on this yeah, one. Yep. Uh, maybe he's just riding and there's a ton of brush and he's annoyed at getting stickers in his gloves. Cause yeah. even if that's the case, it might be worth it. Plus yeah. it's more branding and it's that's kind true. of, it's more moto, man. Yeah. But more moto is usually sicker. <laughs> <laughs> I know that's what they do. They just yeah. rule of thumb. If moto guys do it, they do it. Um, speaking of Sam Hill, he's been sick. Uh, he's, he's also sick. Yes. But He's been, yeah, he's Ill. had an illness because <laughs> yes. when I saw the notes and it said, Sam Hill is sick. I'm like, well, duh, <laughs> yeah, yeah, we yeah. all know that. What, yeah. what is the real topic here? Yeah. But yeah. He's actually been sick for the first two rounds, which yeah. I got to say when I saw the results, no pressure, Sam, but when he doesn't win, it doesn't feel like everything's right in the world. Yeah, I know. I mean, it just feel, I'm like, what's happening? Yeah. Something's yeah, but off. When he wins, yeah. I mean, 
everything seems like it's in line. Cause you I, expect it. Yeah. He's just so good. Uh, changing gears over to some cross country stuff. And this is something that probably not many of you really care about, but I'm going to share some things that I've seen. Cause I've been at the first two pro XCTs down in California, the one in San Dimas at Benelli park, which is where the Olympics will be held eventually. Um, when the Olympics come summer Olympics come to Los Angeles, I think 2028, I believe is the date that they say. Um, and that's where the XC course is likely going to be. Got it. And I, I would just got to jump in. I didn't know about this. It's actually more interesting. He didn't sell it very well by saying it's not, (laughs) but pay attention. This is actually pretty cool. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, anyways, like uh, the pro XCT rounds, it's like the premier XC series in the U S in terms of XCO, not like Epic rides. That's definitely the most popular series. And that's like the cross country marathon stuff. So that's like long days. XCO is like 90 minutes and they have a short track race before then. And if some of the pro XCTs, like the one they're going to have in Utah this year, they have a four day stage race and an amateur can do the four day stage race, which is cool. Nice. So they'll have like a prologue. Then after that, they'll have short track the next day. Then they'll have XCO, then an XCM race. So, um, anyways, uh, some, if you're an American, or if you are a fan of American racing, here's some folks to keep an eye on. So Christopher Blevins, he is ripping. And if any of you haven't checked this guy out, you need to, he takes like an XC bike and high posts it and he'll manual an entire BMX track. It's no way. amazing. He's like one of the most technically skilled riders I've ever seen. I don't know how I've missed that, but that's rad. Yeah. He's really, really good. Uh, he's won the tour de l'avenir, which is the, basically like the junior tour de France mm. over, uh, over across the pond, uh, when he rode for, uh, Axel Merckx's team, but now he's full on just mountain biking races for specialized. He's incredibly fast. He's also a hip hop artist. Like, <laughs> like you'd never expect it. Like, no way. yeah. Uh, super cool dude. Anyways, he is ripping right now and he seems like the American to beat. Um, and he's building up, I'm sure toward Tokyo as of, as is everybody else, uh, which is pretty cool to see. Um, Howard Grotz, who is usually like the stand out, um, not Hogwarts as you thought when you glanced at the dog. I saw Gringotts <laughs> Bank and Hogwarts. I'm not that much of a nerd, but when I glanced these notes, it looked like Hogwarts. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, uh, Howie is usually the guy to beat for XC racing in the U S in a lot of ways. And, uh, he's been dealing with an illness and I think it's something like more like a long-term illness. I don't know exactly mm-hmm. what it is. Um, or perhaps I should, I just, I don't want to guess at what it is cause I don't think he's actually said what it is. So, um, but get well soon to Howie and Kate Courtney, current world champion. She's on a different level right now. And it was evident watching her race. So last year at this time, she was not where she is at all. Mm. Like, uh, she is, seems like leagues ahead of where she was last year. Amazing, so yeah. come world cup time. She might have a really good season and she didn't have to do the Cape Epic this year, which I feel like is a huge boost because when you do something that's that hard, Mm. eight days in a row riding super hard like that, that can depress your immune system and really affect your body for months. And I think that's what happened last year. And that's why- may not potentially cross over the same way a single day World Cup race would. It's just too much work uh, for the body a lot of the time. And I think that that's why she really started to come on at the end of the season is because it took her a long time to get out of that hole, so to speak. And I guess she doesn't have it. Well, I got to bring up the fact too that she's spending a ton of time in the gym because when she does her endo board, jump spin, plate flip things, I get tagged in it constantly. (laughs) I have clients that want to try. 
That's Courtney, cool. uh, I have a client named Courtney. Sorry, right. I'm shouting you out right now. Full on face plant. I got a video of it. So <laughs> nice. if you see her do these plate flips, don't ask me to come try it. Yeah, of yeah. course I had to try it and post it, but you know. I saw that yeah. one. Yeah, yeah, that was good. Uh, somebody else who does a ton of that stuff, uh, Sofia Gomez Villafane. She lives here in the United States, but she's Argentine. She races for the Stan's Pivot team. She is, she, I guess, wasn't full on professional even a couple of years ago because she was going to school and she had a job, everything else. And she just really dedicated herself to it really like last year and this year. And she is absolutely there. She is a mm -hmm. top three contender. So it'll be really cool to see how she does. Nice. And good luck to all the XC racers because uh, they're at Pan American Games right now and some downhill racers at Pan American Games in Mexico. That's right. Go USA. So go USA. Uh, the last thing that I want to share on the racing side of things, even though it isn't technically racing is uh, Payson McKelvin, friend of the podcast, uh, Trek orange seal off-road team rider rides for Red Bull. He and Red Bull, uh, well, I guess Red Bull covered this, but, and there's going to be a film to come out and everything else about this, but he got the white rim, uh, fastest known time record. So, uh, the white rim is an old trail that they use for like mining back in, it's in Canyonlands national park. And he just, he, he hammered it out. I think five, five hours, 45 minutes. That is so sick. Pinned. Uh, so yeah, nice not job to be pacing. confused with the li white line trail. That's <laughs> not like that. the first thing I thought of. <laughs> yeah. Not okay, that. Okay. Completely different. Yeah. That's rad. Yeah. Where do you go, man? Uh, product news. We'll rip through this really quick. Uh, SRAM is doing some new stuff. Their forks, uh, the pike and the SID, they seem to have new lowers and they call them the ultimate. There's like going to be, I think a new level of fork. Uh, kind of like how Fox has had for a long time. Uh, there's like, you know, Fox has like the 36 grip damper and then they have mm. like the fit damper and they have the different levels. Right. Um, but this, they call it the ultimate. It looks like a totally different lower and crown and it looks like optimized for weight because it looks lighter. I don't know if it actually is. looks like they have high speed and low speed compression on the pike for the ultimate, which is kind of cool. Love that. Uh, then the SID, finally, the XC fork, it seems like they've introduced more volume into the air spring and the positive side. So I think that what that's going to do is give it a more supple feel because XC bikes used to be terribly rigid, all of them. Right. And everyone was like, like no high speed compression. Yeah. Like no sag kind of thing. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And they were okay. like, if it sags, it's slow. Like that yeah. was like their thought, you know? And rear suspension systems are changing so much and they're getting way softer right. initially, way more plush, but they still pedal extremely efficiently. Sure. So then when you have these forks that are just super rigid up front, it never matches and you have this awkward front to back imbalance that, that never that makes the, the bike worst. handle. So kudos rock shocks. Yeah. I'm finally doing that because Fox has been ahead of the curve. The MRP that I have the ribbon, um, I switched over on my SB 100 to the ribbon SL, yeah. the light one. Uh, it's pretty rad. It's got 35 mil stanchions. So it's just like a beefy fork in nice. terms of strength. Yeah. Yeah. But that, I think that I gained 80, no 46 or 60 grams over my RS one that I had. Okay. But that fork is a perfect match for my 100. It's so initially plush. Yeah. It's incredible. Like my traction, it's through the roof. Like my tire feels so perfectly planted on the ground. Dude. And I think the feeling of having a bike that just feels even that mm -hmm. no matter what suspension you have linked up, it, that is the most important thing. Yeah, yeah. You can even go like, uh, you can shift where you are in terms of sag and still keep your front to back even and still have a good performing bike. Oh, but that's if, wild. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like I yeah. think a lot of people just focus on getting the sag right with the numbers. Right. And then that's it. But if your fork is one that just doesn't jive with the rear suspension design and the shock on your bike, right. you may actually have to sag it slightly differently. Um, you may have to run something different than what they recommend. Mm -hmm. In my personal opinion, I feel it's better to have a bike that matches front to rear in terms of handling characteristics right. than having a bike that is just set up at, by the book. You Absolutely. Know? So uh, kudos to them. 
they released some new brakes. They're called the G2s. They're supposed to replace the guides. They have four pistons and they say they're 7% more powerful. Wait, did you say 7%? <laughs> yeah, yeah. I don't think anybody can tell. Like, you know what I mean? Like try riding down a trail and be like, these are deaf, like 10%. You would never be able to tell, right? I mean, I could tell. You can't tell between <laughs> 7 and 10% improvement. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I yeah. mean, you guys, you might want to check the credibility of your host here <laughs> yeah, yeah. because yeah. if you can't tell what exactly 7% <laughs> more power feels like, I don't trust them. It's weird, okay. right? Like, I mean, but I, they, they have to, they have to share the improvements for sure. And kudos to them for not saying it's like 75% or in making it up. Um, clearly they, they measured it and they stuck by it, but yeah, they made that up. Too. It's, it's just <laughs> like 7%. Cause know. they're like, well, no one's going to believe 75, but they might yeah. believe, well, five's not maybe enough. Yeah. Even seven. though it might just be five. We'll say seven. Seven's a killer number. <laughs> um, and they also make some new pads now that are more bitey. Uh, they're called like their power organic or something like that. So um, race face next SL cranks. They were mm. known for a long time as being super fragile braking and they had some quality control issues, but race face has announced that they now they're made in Canada. They've improved the strength. They're 12 speed compatible. Sick. So I feel like people can probably try those again and give them a shot. Um, don't trust just the pink bike comments on that one. Uh, hey, dude, never trust the pink bike. <laughs> I mean, story. come on now. True story. Take it with a grain of salt, people. Yeah. <laughs> Please. Uh, the last bit of news I want to talk about is a bike that was released, the Santa Cruz Mega Tower. Uh, the name is like, I, it's weird. It's like a weird name to say. It feels like, uh, I think of like Sharknado, like yeah, Megalodon. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. 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 Uh, but <laughs> it's, it's looks like a killer bike. So it's a long travel 29er and it's like the bike that a lot of people like before they had the high tower LT. Uh, this one stretches that even more. Uh, you can see some like initial reviews that, uh, Mike Casimir posted on pink bike where he talks about like the first ride sort of, uh, impressions, that sort of thing. Um, but the interesting thing is like, this is the new bike in this crop of long travel 29ers that are long and slack and mm -hmm. the whole deal like that, you know? Um, yeah. Cause there was the first wave of just like longer travel 29ers, but now yeah. like the geometry is coming into. Yeah. Where they're getting long, crazy slack, long front low. centers. Yeah. Uh, low, like the SB 150 is a good example of that one. Right. Yeah. Um, I have one of those coming this year. I'm excited for there that. You go. Since our North star days are going to be shreddy. Dude, I, can't be fun. I know. <laughs> are you doing the EWS race? I'm actually not. I'm going to be not. up there. I wasn't sure how I wanted to represent dialed health. Yeah. Um, so I didn't even worry about getting in the race. So I'm yeah. going to be there. I don't know when, when, in what capacity though. Cool. Just full on fan or trying to like get some branding out. We'll see. I'm racing, uh, that one. Really? Yeah. Yeah. Yes. yeah. I'm doing it. And then Pete Morris, our product manager, one nice. of our product managers yeah. here, he's a races for cliff bar yeah. on the crit side of things. He's the long haired guy. Yeah. Nice. But he's also a ripping uh, mountain biker too. Nice. He's doing it with me. Um, so it'll be really fun. Uh, but anyways, comparing the mega tower to the SB 150, uh, you can go into, there's a website that I really like called geometry, geometry geeks dot bike. And there are these guys that basically constantly update the geometry data from a bunch of different bikes. And then you can click on the size of one and then you can compare it to another bike side by side. It's really helpful. Um, anyways, so yeah, that's super cool. Super cool for like, us nerds. Especially, right? Yeah. It's everything is so <laughs> fractional that that would be nice to see side to side instead of having like 10 windows up. And yeah, exactly. Yeah. So I'll run the, the geo of the mega tower versus the SB 150. So the mega tower, I should say you can run it in two different configurations based on the linkage there. You can run it in a high or a low, uh, the most apples to apples comparison was the low configuration to compare it to the SB 150. So yeah. that's what I'm comparing. Got it. Uh, so it has slightly shorter reach. Um, well, a decent amount shorter reach. I think it's like, uh, I'm not going to throw out the number cause I'll, I'll mess it up, but it has a shorter reach. It has a higher stack, but that's because the high, the head tube is a little bit taller than the SB 150. Mm. Uh, it has a shorter seat tube. 
than the SB150. So that means you might be able to get a little bit more drop there with your dropper post. Yeah, or size up on your frame. Yep. Yeah, kind of yes. cool. Then you can get a little bit longer reach without having to having that, that penalty. Um, it has an almost identical head tube angle. I think it's like 64.5 and 64.7. So darn Slack, near the same. Bro. And then uh, the Mega Tower has a longer chainstay, but a shorter wheelbase overall because of that shorter front center that it has in relation to the SB150. Mm. Um, so it's not, but it's not wildly different. It's um, the only thing that I would say stands out is the reach is the that front center is shorter. Got it. On that bike, noticeably shorter than than the SB150. But the SB150 has been, I, a lot of people say, wow, it's crazy long in the front, right? So yeah. it's kind of an outlier. So it doesn't, I, I kind of expected it to be more of like a big departure, especially with the name like Mega Tower. Like <laughs> I expected it to be like crazy, uh, kind of like the Stump Jumper Evo, something like that. Right. Uh, but it's really not that crazy. And it seems like a really good bike. They've gotten their linkage system dialed in. It pedals really well. Uh, so anyways, uh, interesting to see. Yeah. It seems like they're very on trend, honestly. That's the trend right now, yeah, right? Is like, like they do just the, feel they're like, Hey, this is exactly what people want right now. Like everyone's obsessed with the 150, which, which I think rightfully so. Sure. Yeah. And I think they kind of met the need of the market, honestly, a, a good timing. So the you ridden, yeah. Cause like there's the long bikes and then there's the long bikes, like oh, that stump yeah. jumper Evo you yes. ride for specialized. Yep. Uh, have you ridden that thing? I have. Yeah. So <clears throat> I recently had a chance to kind of run through the whole fleet mm -hmm. and check different sizes, like frame sizes, wheel sizes, and, uh, finally get on the stump jumper Evo. Cause there's a lot of hype to it. And yeah. even, you know, it's so long and slack, um, <laughs> yeah. that even specialized understands it's a niche bike. Like they, yeah. this is going to be for that niche person. Mm -hmm. Uh, but when that person finds it, it's going to be the best thing that they've ever had. Exactly what they wanted. Yeah, exactly. So, <clears throat> excuse me. I kind of, uh, the one disclaimer I will say on it is that I rode along. There's a S2 and S3 sizing. I'm five nine. I'm definitely an S2 sizing. Okay. Right now I run a medium uh, stump jumper. So kind of you know put that in comparison. Okay. So yeah, yeah. The bike was big to begin with, uh, and I would rode Toads, which is a local trail in Tahoe, yeah, really well yeah. known. Um, and it's got a little bit of everything. It's got high speed. It's got rocks. It's got, got some tight quite turns. a bit of climbing. It's got some tight turns. Um, so it was a good all around test. Honestly, it did exactly what you would expect. <laughs> yeah, I was yeah. climbing up single track and I felt like I was on a limousine. <laughs> I had a line for my front wheel and a line for my back wheel around yeah. every corner. Right. I was, um, you know, rear wheel cheat was crazy. Like I was splitting rocks, front wheel to back wheel climbing constantly. Yep. Um, so to, to be honest with that, I didn't prefer it compared to my stumpy. It's not what it's designed for though. Not at all. Yeah. 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 And, and that's okay because the bottom line is it gets you up to the top of the mountain comfortably. Sure. Right. And yep. It absolutely did that. And that's, that's a long climb, Yeah, you know, getting up. There. Oh yeah. What about going um, down? <laughs> going down was wicked. Okay. <laughs> yeah. So here's the thing. I right. could tell the frame was too big. So yeah. I kind of kept that in mind. Yeah. Um, having the long wheelbase at speed was unbelievably stable. It's exactly what you would think, but when you get to the bottom of the trail, I'm talking about toads, it just gets really long sweeping corners. You can carry your speed 20, 30 plus. Jeez. And it honestly just feels like Am I exaggerating? No, if you guys want to tell me you go 30 at the end of that, I right? think so. I think you do. Yeah, you, you rip. Yeah. Yeah. And I kid you not, the faster I went, it seemed like the more stable the bike got. Um, huh. and before that there's some gnarly rocks, obviously, dude, I felt like I could run into a microwave sized rock without pulling up the front <laughs> wheel. It's so slack. Yeah. So like those things were incredible, obviously because it was so long and it was a little oversized for me all the cornering that was tight, especially the ones over the rocks didn't feel quite right. Yeah. But 
plowing straight through rocks, uh, plowing on any type of fast terrain. It was yeah. unbelievably stable and you could just run into anything. So that fun. was really fun. Now, because it doesn't have crazy long travel, it's like 150 front and rear. Yeah. Um, you know, it's a bike that at a steep place that maybe goes fast, less rocks. It's yeah. like perfect. So like, yeah. I know a lot of guys in Pacific Northwest are loving it. Yeah. Um, there's some areas we have around here. It's a little bit loamier. Yeah. Um, it's a really, really great bike for that niche person. And also, you know, I hate to say it, I'm 27 now. If I was 16, yeah. I would absolutely have to this bike <laughs> yeah, right. just because. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So yeah. I don't know. It's just got that like fun factor to it. Huh. Would it be good at a place like Mammoth? Um, it would, but then again, it's like to ride. Yes. Yeah. To race. Yeah. I don't think so. Like it wouldn't outmatch the stump jumper in my right. opinion. Yeah. Yeah. And you're riding the standard stump jumper, right? Stump jumper. Yeah. yeah. 29er. Yeah. Yeah. It's incredible. Are you going to ride that at uh North star this year? I, okay. I would choose the, um, enduro. I rode a large frame enduro 27.5 yeah. there last year. I would go to a medium frame 29 enduro. If I could choose, I'm probably not going to bounce back and forth. Yeah. Um, but dude, an enduro at North star is the best experience. Yeah. Unbelievable. 170 travel. You can pedal around. It's comfortable, but when you have to pin it through gnarly stuff, yep. it's just, it's a lean back and plow bike, which yeah. is incredible. But then you have to get up and go on these like longer, there's like 16 minute stages. In North oh star. yeah. So uh, it does really well there too. That that's for sure the bike I choose. Yeah, I'm looking forward to that race this year. I wonder what they're going to do for new trails. Yeah, hopefully we can get some beta beforehand. Maybe even help with the tr with the digging and building. I don't know. We'll, well see. Well, let's hope these trails get put in because there's a lot <laughs> there's of a snow. Lot of snow. <laughs> there's a lot of oh snow. Oh my gosh. Yeah, seriously. I'm glad it's in August. Yeah, uh, that'll help. <laughs> uh, with that, let's cut into some questions. Let's do it. Question. That's a ridiculous question. False. Well, that's debatable. <laughs> First one's from Brett. He says, Hey guys, love the podcast. Five stars. I started listening a few months ago and almost got caught up to hundred percent. Awesome. Good to hear, man. Uh, and hopefully y'all are enjoying, we just released a podcast recently. So you're getting another one here pretty quickly. Uh, we're trying to make up for some lost time. You can leave those ratings by the way, like he said on iTunes, we'd appreciate that. Uh, if you feel like we deserve five stars, uh, if you don't just let us know what we can do, we'll be better. Uh, so he says, I have some fit questions and I'm occasionally dealing with lower back pain when I ride. I'm somewhat oddly proportioned being six foot tall and have a 35 inch inseam. So basically for those that don't know, he's saying that he has long legs, relatively mm. speaking for his height, which he does. Uh, I'm five, 10 and a half, uh, in terms of inches and I have a 33 inch inseam. So you can see that proportionately speaking, he's six foot and has a 35 inch inseam. It's longer, right? So he says, this typically requires me to run a smaller bike due to my short reach, but a really high seat post. I'm currently riding a large diamondback release. When my dropper is extended, my saddle is probably one to one and a half inches above my bar. He says, I added a 35 millimeter riser bar thinking that raising the saddle or raising the handlebars up would be a more relaxed ride and help a little bit. Is this just a lack of core strength or do you think it's a fit issue? I'm in decent recreational mm. cyclist shape, riding 80 plus miles a week on, with the road and mountain bike mix. But outside of biking, I don't work out at all or do any structured training. <laughs> so I love that part because like most cyclists like aren't in actually good shape as a yes. human. They're just, in, they can ride a bike, right? Uh, so he says, I typically don't get back pain on my road ride, which has an even bigger bar drop. So that's a good sign that probably the bar drop isn't really the answer there. Right. He says, do you have any stretches or other suggestions that can help me reduce lower back pain? So before we get in, cause I think this is a strength training thing and yeah. good thing you're here for this. Absolutely. Um, but before we get into that, I want to cover the saddle to bar drop. Uh, so it's very common to have a drop. Nino Schurter, I think has seven centimeters of drop, uh, between his saddle and his 
bars. Um, I think that I have like a five and a half, mm. something like that, or six centimeters of drop. Uh, plenty of people have drop and that's totally normal. And one to one and a half inches actually is, is not excessive at all. I wouldn't consider that excessive. Yeah. Um, so I guess lower back pain, tightness, cramping, that sort of stuff. We hear about it a ton from oh people. Oh my gosh, so common. How, as a person that trains people, how would you address that? Yeah, okay, so with this guy clearly saying that he doesn't do any type of, um, let's see, mix outside the bike, I don't work out at all or do any structured training. I mean, that is just like a giant red flag saying that almost anything you can do in the strength training world, whether it's <laughs> adding two workouts with different plank variations per week, uh, along with a couple stretches is probably going to give you some positive effect. Yeah. Like him also saying that I don't get pain on the road bike. So he has more drop on the road bike. We already canceled that one out. Yep. The reason he is probably feeling it on the mountain bike is because mountain biking by nature is just so much more total body. You're yeah. pushing and pulling on the bars in such a different way. And because the terrain and the angles you'll be at, it's just a lot more drastic than what you would typically do on a road bike, especially if you're a recreational rider. Especially if you're riding rocky terrain yeah. where you have mantling or you have to like, well, what I mean by mantling is like picking up the front end on something, picking up the back end, yes. or you're constantly like hitting rocks. Like I'm thinking like back East, that yeah. sort of technical rocky riding. Yeah. And even on the uphills, when like yep. technical climbing uphills, if you have back problems, you are going to get smoked. Yep. You have to do those little power wheelies. You're, you have to pop up the back wheel. Um, and then you start going down a steep downhill. You're already fatigued and the back is just not having it. So <laughs> my biggest uh, thing for this guy would be, I, I would have to address his mobility. There's a chance that he's really mobile and he just needs to get strengthened. Yeah. Yeah. It's um, possible. There's a chance that his glutes are so insanely tight that yeah. I could barely manually stretch them. So most likely I would say get some pigeon stretching in and make sure that your glutes are, are flexible. Yep. Um, and from there it's adding in plank variations, but most likely if that tightness is there, you're not engaging your posterior chain the way you want to be. So especially when you're leaning back on a downhill, if your uh, posterior chain is all the muscles on the backside of your body. So if your yep. hamstrings, your glutes, uh, parts of your back are not firing, you're going to compensate with your quads. Chances are your core is not going to be turned on. And then your low back is going to compensate because when your core and your glutes aren't firing, your low back is what takes the heat for it. So uh, keep that yeah. in mind. Another thing with yeah. this, I find that a lot of people talk about like calf fatigue and descents. Oh, yeah. And I find that when they don't have a properly trained mobile and or activated posterior chain, posterior, yep. like you said, they end up passing a lot of that, that, that strain onto the quadriceps yes. off the glutes. So they have back quadriceps and then they throw and it under their calves. Absolutely. Yep. It's, it's really common. So even though technically, you know, your calves are on the posterior side of your body, everything else, yeah. you're basically passing that load into spots where it shouldn't be. And it ends up crying out somewhere. Yeah. Maybe your calves, maybe your back, maybe something else like that. Yeah. It, it's incredible. The compensations people build over the years. And the hard part about it is that everybody truly is different. Yeah. So you're, if you're a guy that you feel your calves blowing up, but, um, you don't have engaged hamstrings, yep. um, that's totally possible. If you're a guy that has crazy engaged hamstrings, um, um, but whatever, I don't know, you don't feel your calves or you got yeah. your team no legs or whatever it is. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, it's, yeah. it's very possible. But yeah, with this guy in particular, I just say I would at least do two days of planking variations. Uh, honestly, you could go to my website, dialedhealth.com. This is a very please shameless do. but helpful plug. No, please uh, plug it because it's helpful. Yeah, there is a free total body core workout. Um, it's no equipment. It's plank variations. It's glute bridging. There's also a total body stretch routine. I think doing both of those twice a week um, would really help this guy out a lot. Like I genuinely do. And I hope you do it, Brett. Please. Sweet.
Nice. That was a good one. Uh, Jimbo. He says, I love your review of the SB100. This one's clearly, I think, tailored towards me here. Uh, he says, already having a Yeti SB55, which I love, and being sold on uh, is what, uh, and being sold on your recommendation, I put my dollars down on an SB100 as well. You hear that, Yeti? <laughs> yeah, boy, <laughs> selling by. He says, he says, it has the second iteration of the Switch system. So the Switch, uh, so we should cover this. Uh, so... Switch Infinity has had multiple different generations of design, and Switch Infinity is Yeti's rear suspension design. Uh, the SP100 has a totally unique implementation of this technology because it's actually flipped 90 degrees from what it usually is, meaning that instead of the, because it has a linkage that slides up and down on two stanchions, there's no sort of like- uh, Can you not do that with your hands, please? Yeah, sorry, <laughs> sorry, sorry, I'm just <laughs> milking a cow over here. Um, <laughs> but they, and they flipped it 90 degrees. So those are side by side. Yeah. Um, no other bike is like that. So uh, at first when they released the bike, uh, they had some of the models were experiencing creaking. So then they ended up actually sending out some replacement parts that changed it up. And then uh, it got rid of the creaking, everything else allowed things to move more freely in the Switch Infinity design. It was all good. Nice. And that's what, if you buy a bike now, that's what it comes with. There's a ton of misinformation on this on the internet. So we'll get into that. He mm -hmm. says he has the second version. So in other words, the fixed design. And he says, I have found it not to be super stiff due to the revised Switch Infinity. However, still a great, ba great bike to ride. I'm going to cover that in just a second. He says, after only 128 kilometers, the lower right Switch Infinity, bolt, Switch Infinity bolt came completely undone, causing extreme flex. If you don't have a bolt in the frame that's in the linkage, extreme flex will happen. <laughs> so he says, I found out on forums that this problem is common and feels, and he says, I feel slightly duped given how much I spent on the bike. I understand you're supported by Yeti. However, I'd be interested to see how this issue covered in what, or see this issue covered in one of your awesome shows. So, um, yeah, I want to cover this one cause I've gotten a ton of questions on this. So, uh, well not a ton, but a handful of questions on this through my personal channels. Uh, so Torquing your bike comes with a manual mm. and then when you got those replacement parts, it came with updated specs for that. However, if you don't have those, you just go onto Yeti. Then you go into the support section. You go to the Yeti SP 100 support and you can download a manual right there and you can see all the information you need. Nice. Torque specs are extremely important on linkage designs. On some designs, it's even more important than others because those torque specs have to be in place in order for the bike to function properly. Yeah. Especially carbon. Totally. And you also have to use the proper compounds. In some cases, you'll be using never sees. In some cases, you'll be using green Loctite, red Loctite, or blue Loctite, depending on whatever bolt you're working on on a bicycle, right? Some day, some things you might be using carbon paste, like a gritty compound that actually makes something grip better. And I think not enough people use those, use all of these different compounds. They just mm. think, oh, I'll just tighten the bolt. And then we always just think like, yeah, I'm, I'm a really calibrated torque wrench and we push down on a wrench and we figure it's good, right? Uh, but we don't know. So with this, with uh, the SB100, with all bikes with uh, that I've found, at least Yetis, it's extremely important to make sure that you torque things properly. And yeah. it doesn't take much. All you have to do is just get a torque wrench and really go to town on it and then make sure that you have the proper adhesive or proper assembly uh, compound, whatever that is, on, on, the, on the bike. So in some cases on this one, on the upper bolts, I think you use never sees. On the lower ones, you use Loctite. It's extremely important that you put Loctite on those, and it's extremely important that you torque them down to spec. If you have that, you won't have a problem. Yeah, so with this guy, it sounds like, too, he's like, well, I only put 128 uh, kilometers on it. Um, I, mm -hmm. I, I'm In his head, I feel like he's saying, I shouldn't have to check the bolts yet. Yeah, that's probably what he's saying. Right. <clears throat> but that's something that I... 
I don't necessarily agree with that. I think that, um, I'm not sure what Yeti says for service intervals, but I don't care what bike it's been other right. than my hardtail. I didn't check the bolts on that one because yeah. it didn't really have rear suspension on all my bikes. I check my linkage bolts regularly mm -hmm. on the Yeti. It's slightly on the switch infinity system. Um, the, the SP 100, it's a little bit more complex, but I take every time I wash my bike, I'm anal about this stuff, but I take off my rear triangle anyway. I just, it's, to, it's four bolts right. and then I pull it off and then I clean out that switch system and I grease it and I do all that stuff anyway, just cause I'm an anal person with my bikes. Yeah. That's next level, but, but it sounds easy. It doesn't take a lot. Right. And then you can check the torque on those bolts. It's really easy to do. So, uh, just check your bolts people and use the right compounds and it'll be good regarding the flex. Uh, we were talking about this before we were recording here. Yeah. Flex I is totally wrong. misunderstood by people. I feel like because yeah. some people feel like flex period is bad. Absolutely. And, and the fact is if you have everything torqued down, it's the same exact performance from the bike before with the previous iteration to this one, it's the same exact. Right. Um, but if you don't have things torqued down, that'll flex too much, but bike companies engineer flex, whether it's in carbon materials, right. whether it's in linkage designs, whether it's in how the wheels built up, whether, I mean, everything like mm -hmm. you want to have flex. Mm -hmm. I mean, I'm sure like, even like for you going from bike to bike to bike, yeah. how you did recently, yeah. you'd notice differences when you went from wheels to, you know, the frame, that's just normal. I mean, flex Absolutely. is beneficial. And I, I've definitely someone who's come from the kind of frame of mind where I'm like, I want the stiffest bike possible. I want to feel the trail. I love feedback on the trail yep. and I, I stiffer, 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 stiffer. But there is a point where, you know, you even have top downhill guys adjusting spoke tensions to get a little more flex yeah. uh, because they can feel the difference. And that is on the extreme end of it. Uh, but the, I think the point being that even the best riders in the world understand that you do want a little bit of flex and there's pr a preferred amount uh, yeah. amongst different people but it should be a part of a properly built bike. Absolutely. Yeah. 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 Um, it, it, to give you an example. So, um, I ride, I ride my bikes pretty hard in terms of like, you know, the, the yeah. pace of riding and the tra trails that I ride that sort of stuff. Uh, and I rode my SB 100 at North star four days in a row this year. I was with you one of those days yeah. <laughs> on the SB 100. And we rode, I rode basically every, the only thing I didn't do was nom. Uh, but I did full sticks and stones. I did all the gnarly trails at North star yeah. with that new design with the new linkage design, everything else like that. And I didn't have a single problem. Yeah, and the bike was incredible. And that was nice. on an XC bike in yeah. a gnarly bike park. So, uh, yeah, it's, it's killer for me. Uh, works just fine. And I think it's because I check my bolts and use right compounds and that yeah. goes for everybody, regardless of what bike you have. Uh, Andrew, he says, we're just going to do a couple more here. And then we're going to get into the meat of what we want to talk about. So, um, we have Love plenty it. of questions that you guys submitted and you can submit them at mtbpodcast.com. Thank you for doing that. Uh, but we're just going to cover a couple more before we get into the yeah, business. These, these are awesome. Andrew says, good evening. I enjoy the episode on strength training and I was wanting to learn some more about yoga over the past few months. I've been working on core strength with the help of Tom Danielson's core advantage book. And he says, I've really enjoyed the lower intensity core work, not just smashing crunches. And crunches are tight, dude. That's what you do, <laughs> do before you go to the Jersey shore. He says, and I felt a difference in searching, in researching yoga. There seems to be a lot of noise on the internet and I don't know what resources to trust. Do you have a solid book or website recommendation that I can use to piece together a yoga routine? Uh, I feel this guy for sure. Um, yeah. There, and I feel like yoga is like one of the most, it can be totally left open to interpretation mm -hmm. in terms of what it is for a specific person. Yeah. And there are so many different forms. 
There's so much like yoga taboo. Oh gosh. Gosh. It's uh, yeah. It's, it's a ton. Uh, during when I was at powder Creek lodge, um, up in Canada this year, it was amazing. Yeah. Um, lots of FOMO watching your Instagram stories. Oh my gosh. Shout out to Shelly and John Peachel podcast listeners and ripping mountain bikers, just like all of you that are listening here. Take Um, me. Yeah. It was amazing. Uh, but when we were up there, we actually had a gal who was, very well versed in yoga, yoga instructor. And she was also, she's, she was a medical professional for, for years. And amazing. um, she was really knowledgeable. And she and I had a ton of talks when we were skinning up mountains nonstop for like, you know, eight hours a day, seven days in a row. We had a ton of talks about the different interpretations of what yoga could be. Nice. So when you are looking at this and, and looking online, I totally understand, Andrew, the the problem you could find yourself in. And I think that's why it's important. And this is totally a, a softball for you, but uh, Derek, but that's why it's important to find a person that understands the demands of mountain biking, then understands how to utilize or leverage something like yoga. Cause sure. you, I've noticed you yeah. follow some YouTube videos. Absolutely. Um, and then you, I, you have some yoga stuff on your site too. Yeah. Yeah. I actually have a stretching routine that a lot of the positions are things that you would do in a yoga class. Uh, some more mm-hmm. of the static holds and yeah, I think there, I, I get why he's kind of going down this rabbit hole of like, you know, holy smokes, is this like a full on <laughs> spiritual experience or am I exercising or like, what is it? So I think it's good to keep in mind that there are a lot of avenues and reasons like avenues you could take yoga and reasons why people do it. Yeah. I think in, you know, consideration of your writing, it's purely performance focused. You can do yoga focused on the fitness benefits of it purely. Mm-hmm. Um, it doesn't have to go beyond that. And so researching the yoga, here's what I would say. So he wants to put together his own routine. I don't doubt that you're experienced, um, or you're not experienced enough to do that. Sure. Um, if that's what you want to do, funny enough on YouTube, there's a guy Manflow yoga that posts a lot of individual poses and Hmm. you could piece that together in your own thing. And he does videos on proper form for those individual poses. Cool. So Manflow yoga, pretty cool. Um, also I think though it would be in your best interest to continue doing practices that aren't built by yourself. And it's another reason I tell people to follow program strength training is that you will subconsciously pick things that you're better at that Mm -hmm. are easier for you. (laughs) Yeah. And so when you throw in that class that's directed and you follow it there, even if it's that one pose in the class that you hate, but you have to try and give a hundred percent and that's what really makes you better. So I would say, I think it's great. I have plenty of stretch and 20 minute like routines that I'll do to, that I know will make me feel optimal. Yeah. Uh, I think those are great in the morning, pre-race stuff where, you know, you need to know what to expect. Uh, but in the long term, build something up, um, and then go to a channel like five parks yoga. That's my favorite on YouTube and follow their actual guided, um, routines. Yeah. I've seen you following those ones. Those look look really good. So convenient. I would go to a class, but it's another appointment and time and this and that. And if you have somewhat of uh, body awareness, yeah. Um, you can get so much out of those videos. Yeah. Really useful. Sam says, Hey fellas, uh, this will be the last question before we get into the business. He says, I really enjoy listening to your podcast. It's always entertaining. I think it's time you both discuss the new SRAM Axis Eagle. Steve, we wish you were here for this. <laughs> he says, uh, yep, they've released the bird and she's taking flight. <laughs> he says, what are your thoughts? Uh, talk about it, criticize it, praise it, even devote an entire show to it or not. Thanks, Sam. Um, so are you like a SRAM or Shimano guy? Uh, I'm a SRAM guy right now. Yeah. 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 But I'm, you don't have any sort of like devotion to one to the other, right? You can. Okay. Or so do you? not really. Like I kind of bounce around and, um, 
I, I'm not tied up with any either of the companies. Yeah. I have all I've been on SRAM for the past like five years because through deals that I get, it's just worked out better that way. Yep. I will say I prefer the feeling of Shimano brakes and drivetrain. Yeah. However, the Eagle yeah. is the greatest thing. It's so nice. It right? has helped my health and my knees <laughs> and yeah. my ride yeah. experience to an extent that like, I just love it so much, man. I've, yeah. I've been really grateful for it. So big Eagle guy. Yeah. Now XTR has a match to that basically in terms of rail. Well, actually they've, they've upped it. I think they have like one tooth uh, more, right? A little petty, but I'll yeah. take it. <laughs> I, hey, I will jump yeah. over for that extra tooth. <laughs> sure. I yeah. will do. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Put me on steep enough, on a steep enough climb and I'll take it. Right. Uh, yeah. Oh yeah. Um, uh, but anyways, I guess talking about this one, Axis, uh, Eagle. So this is the wireless version of it. And the Here's the deal. So have you ridden with ETAP ever? The SRAM's wireless road drivetrain? No. So I haven't. I've ridden DI2. I haven't ridden. Cool. ETAP, so yeah. DI2 shifting is right. incredible. Sure. It's really, really, really good. And it's very <laughs> reliable. Like yeah. when you hit that button, it grabs the gear. Yeah. Uh, with my ETAP setup, it is not like that. <laughs> and so it's like, a different shifting style. It's like you press both sometimes. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So like, that, right? yeah, the way it works on the drop bars is that you have only one button per side. Uh, and it's like a little paddle right. and you click the right paddle to shift up in the rear and you click the left paddle to shift down, uh, to shift down in the rear. Right. And then to shift the front, you just tap them both at the same time and then it shifts down or tap them again at the same time and it shifts back up. Uh, it's super intuitive, works mm. really well in that respect. 95%, no 97, maybe 98% of my shifts are perfect. Like when I tap it shifts. Yeah. But then there's this other like 2% and it always seems to happen when you're sprinting the most important or like when you're climbing out of like out of the saddle on a steep climb, it's not consistent with the timing from when I hit that shift mm -hmm. and the, on the paddle and when it actually moves a gear in the back and it's not like I hit it and it goes and it's trying to grab the gear that doesn't happen. It's just it kind of decides if it wants to take, you know, a millisecond or a one entire second yeah. to shift that gear. And that is really disconcerting. Absolutely. So, because <laughs> I mean, your muscle memory is going to lighten up on your, if you're putting yep. down the power exactly, and you know, I'm going to get light right now, but, yep. but yeah, you miss that. And then you hit that button and you're in the middle of a sprint and nothing happens in the back. You're like, mm -hmm. did I? Did I hit that button? So mm -hmm. maybe you grab another one, then it jumps two gears. Then you yeah, could well. possibly like actually drop your chain or like skip in the back and then blow out of your pedal and yeah. go over the bars. It's, it's sketchy for sure. So like, I'm not a fan of that part. Like I said, 98% of the time it's fine. But then that other 2% leaves this like really disconcerting question mark in my mind. So I think, and from what I've heard, they have reworked the, the wireless protocol. And this is like totally my vein with here at Trainer Road, because mm. we deal with wireless devices nonstop, uh, especially within Bluetooth and AMP Plus, those wireless protocols. And apparently they've reworked it. It's more stable and more secure. And they say that they've also strengthened the motor on the shifter, mm. uh, sorry, on the derailleur. So then, because th some people were saying the reason it's delayed is because the motor isn't strong enough to move that. Got it. So maybe that, or it may just be, I, I've questioned if it's wireless interference. Yeah, so like I heard the motor is 7% stronger. <laughs> nice. Yeah, yeah, that's good. Yeah. <laughs> um, but, so like, bear with me. This is super nerdy stuff, but, uh, these, all of these wireless devices use the 2.4 gigahertz spectrum. So like, that's basically imagine a freeway of communication and it's the 2.4 gigahertz, like the 405 in SoCal is the 2.4 gigahertz, right? Has a bunch of different lanes on it. 
And uh, when you have AMP Plus, which is like what Garmin devices use a lot of the time, they can do Bluetooth now too. But uh, AMP Plus, basically your car is locked in that lane and it cannot shift a lane on that freeway. It's just mm. stuck in there. And sometimes people shift lanes in front of you or go slow in front of you and you get stuck behind them and interference happens. And that's what happens in terms of wireless interference. Now, Bluetooth, and this is an analogy, so so engineers don't reach out to me and flame me on this, but uh, Bluetooth is different. Bluetooth, you can switch lanes within that 2.4 gigahertz spectrum. When it senses that somebody is in its way, it's kind of like a car with like automatic cruise control these days. When it senses that, it switches lanes to a clear lane so it has better communication. Hmm. And I'm wondering, because I think that they built it on top of Bluetooth, I'm wondering if they had Bluetooth frequency hopping issues where it was getting interference and then it was hopping, trying to find a clear frequency, and that's why it's slightly delayed on mm. the level of milliseconds. I don't know if it, that's it or if it is the motor, but if they haven't fixed that with SRAM Axis Eagle, that's a bigger problem because in mountain biking, I feel like mm. a critical shift timing, like shift timing is absolutely critical when you have to like shift and grab that gear to go up that ledge right. or when you have to, um, sh there's so many times when you're shifting all the way down your cassette, then all the way back up your cassette when you're in, you know, any sort of cross country environment. Right. Oh yeah. Enduro when you're yeah, charging you out of a turn hot to a slow corner and you got to drop four gears. Yeah. Like sure. shift timing. I feel like it's way more critical in off-road scenarios. Maybe that's huh. why that took so long to come out. So hopefully if they fix that, I yeah. want it because it's got rainbow anodizing on it. And that looks that super look, cool. Dude, that looks so cool. Isn't that called like oil? Oil slick. Oil yeah, slick. That's what oh it is. my yeah, gosh, dude. Slick. That looks, is the sick. That is yeah. the best. Thing. I want that really bad. Yeah. It'll look good on a turquoise. Yeti. And, I mean, that needs to be addressed. <laughs> <laughs> um, that needs to be addressed because of the safety. Yeah. But when you explain it, I have sympathy for the person who has to figure that out. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And part of me yeah. is like, you know what guys? It's all right. <laughs> <laughs> it's cool. Don't worry about it. All right. Um, we have more, we had more questions that we were going to cover, but we're, we're out of time on that. Let's just going to cut straight into the business. Uh, a discussion on nutrition and training. I love it. It's business time. It's business. It's business time. All right, so we've got you here. We're going to take advantage of this. We're going to talk nutrition and training mm. uh, for all athletes that are listening to this. So this isn't just like an XC thing. This isn't just an enduro thing. This isn't just a DH thing. Uh, this applies also to like the average mountain biker. All of this advice will, right? Love it. Okay. Um, first thing I want to do is talk about nutrition. Yeah. If anybody follows you at Dialed Health on Instagram, they should. Uh, if anybody follows you, they've probably noticed the fact that number one, you've got you've gotten a lot leaner. Way leaner. Because you were already like a lean dude. Thanks. But now you are extremely lean. Thank you. And Gosh, it feels good to hear that. <laughs> I want to be honest. I was not as lean as I thought I was. And then I found out. Yeah, there you and go. I've been changing. Yeah. Um, so I want to talk about how, what you've been doing to get so lean because yeah. for mountain bikers, uh, you don't have to be some sort of like a, you know, you don't have to be some crazy strict person that's, you know, we're going to talk about like uh, extremes yeah. perhaps right here. Sure. Um, but uh, it can, you can take parts of this and implement it and see a benefit because when you're going up a hill, it really just comes down to your power and your weight. Yeah. So uh, it's something that, and if you, your weight isn't helping you push those pedals, uh, it sucks to carry it around. It makes it less fun. Yeah. And life is also just less enjoyable. Uh, so what have you been doing to get so lean? That's a big question. Okay, cool. But uh, let's tackle it piece by piece. Piece by piece. So first piece is that driving here, I had a quad shot Americano and 150 <laughs> grams of carrots. And <laughs> if you just keep doing that over and over, <laughs> you're going to get lean. You can get super lean. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's good. Yeah. yeah. Um, so actually, you know, it's funny, but yeah, what you said before was, you know, I was 
pretty lean to begin with. Um, I actually was like 15%, 15% body fat. Was that um, with uh, calipers or was that with any other sort of measurement? So that's an important distinction to make. Yeah, it totally is. So I use an in-body machine. It's a bioelectric impedance machine. It's extremely yeah. accurate and uh, it's an incredible machine. It tells you differences in your water weight, bone density, muscle mass. Is, um, that, is, is it like a scale that you have at home or do you go to a facility? You go to a facility. So I have one at the gym or the studio dialed health. Uh, you stand on it, it shoots some electronic signals through your body. Yep. And, uh, I don't know the, I don't have a good freeway analogy for you on this one, <laughs> yeah. but yeah. all I know is that what the coolest thing about it is that it tracks, you know, progress that you may not see. Yeah. Um, so long story short, it tells you what your body fat is. Yeah. Um, I hopped on it and I would have looked you dead in the face. And this is after six years of personal training. Yeah. I'm yeah. just being honest. Yeah. Um, and I would have said, I am 12, 13% body fat. Yeah. I was 14.8. And yeah. again, it, you know, it doesn't sound that extreme, but yeah. this is what I do. And I should be on the more extreme side of it. Right. Um, and honestly, it was kind of a tough pill to swallow. And then it's like, oh, I do look back at, at my shirtless workout things that I don't post too much, but they're on there. Yeah. Um, and I'm like, wow, you know what? I actually, I have some fat to lose. Like, you know, yeah. and I'm not a big guy um, and I don't want to get too small and just look skinny, but, yeah. um, you know, I want to be lean. And remember, you can have muscle and be lean. It's not just about getting skinny. Yeah. So that was kind of the realization that I had. And for me, I want to have something that's flexible because I love donuts, dude. You know <laughs> you what do. I mean? And, and you're in Reno. You're like very tempting right now. Doughboy's donuts, donut, donuts, my donuts. absolute yeah. favorite. Um, yeah. still debating on if I'm going to go or not, probably <laughs> want time. But, uh, but honestly, my big thing was that not only do I want some flexibility in what I can do diet wise, but it, it actually needs to fluctuate, you know, a day where I yeah. go to work and I do 30 minutes of yoga and that's it. I'm not going to eat as much as the day where I do a four hour mountain bike ride. Yeah. And, um, and all that. So, and it, it just doesn't make sense. This is where that common sense comes in. So what I decided, yeah. go ahead. You have a question. I was just going to jump in on the scales really quick sure. to oh, help okay. people with that. I bet okay. people would be interested. So I should say body fat measurement systems, mm -hmm. uh, in the state of Nevada, I can say this much. You don't, uh, you can get something called a DEXA scan. Yeah. Uh, it's we got them in California. Yeah. Yep. And uh, well, I, I should say you can get them in almost any state, but right. in the state of Nevada, you can just walk up. You don't need any sort of prescription. Might be the same in California. Yeah. I think the I think Utah or Michigan for some reason are standing out in my mind where you actually need a prescription, and then yeah. insurance also needs to approve it. Like yeah. even if you have a prescription, it's yeah. kind of weird. Uh, so anyways, it's a dual x-ray machine. And what that does is it passes two different x-rays at different x-rays at different frequencies through your body. And then it also, it measures the, on the other side of yeah. that, of you basically on what's coming through. And then it gives you kind of a breakdown. Uh, the cool part about those is it breaks down your left leg, mm -hmm. your right leg. It breaks down your trunk into quadrants Yep. and then breaks down gynoid, uh, region in Android region. And then it'll break down your arms. Yeah. So and like visceral versus subcutaneous fat, which is a huge one, which is a huge one. Yeah. So like uh, visceral versus subcutaneous, like subcutaneous is the stuff that we all want to lose. Right. So then we can look jacked, right? Yeah, it's the fat that's on top of your muscles yep. versus the fat that's intertwined between your organs. Yes. Yeah. 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 And visceral fat does you no good. Um, it, it does, you no good. And it's the most unhealthy. And actually I just got a DEXA scan a few weeks back. There's DEXA fit Folsom. You guys are amazing. Nice. Um, so yeah, I went in and they kind of explained that to me and I didn't even know that visceral fat not only is it unhealthy for that kind of the pressure it puts on your organs, but yeah. it actually blocks signals that your organs have between each other Yes, and makes them less responsive. So that was kind of interesting. You'll see like the guy with like the gnarly pot belly, beer belly. Yeah. When it's just like, he might even look like crazy skinny. Right. 
and he might not have a lot of subcutaneous fat, right? but then he just has this stomach that sticks out right. and chances are that person has a lot of visceral fat. Yeah. Um, alcohol is a big contributor mm. to, to visceral fat, a lot of sugar intake, like, you know, it's simple sugars. We'll get into that in just a bit, but, uh, it's important to measure that stuff for general health. Now, uh, the, the tricky part about that is you'll get, a caliper scan and you may have no clue that you have visceral fat. Right. Right. Um, so that's kind of the cool thing that you can do with something like that. However, uh, it's really like splitting hairs and you can kind mm -hmm. of do one once and then maybe do one later on down the road. They're $50 here in Nevada. They're really cheap. Yeah. Um, and you can schedule it and you can basically get in next day or same day if yeah. you need to schedule it, at least in our, our region. But I actually got some, I've ran through three different scales mm. that you can use at home that also are helpful in nice. this regard. Uh, Tanita scales. There are a few different ones. There was like an Iron Man official one that was super cheesy because it had the Iron Man logo on it and I wasn't <laughs> into that, uh, but it functioned well. And then there's the cheap one. It's like $49. It's from Tanita. It's, it's the BF680W. Fantastic mm -hmm. name. Rolls right off the tongue. <laughs> and that one actually gave me, I did a caliper test and a DEXA test. And I think I've done like 14 of them now. Nice. Like a lot of them. Yeah. And I cross-reference them and I basically have those in a spreadsheet where I keep track of that. And this scale, those scales usually have an athlete and an average setting athlete is, and it's kind of funny. I love it because it's like, who's going to call themselves an athlete? <laughs> yeah. I just want to see that. <laughs> totally. And the, so what I found, at least in my case, there's a tight correlation. Like I think it's plus or minus 1% or 0.1% in variation. So very close. Yeah. It varies for some people though. Yeah. Um, but very close between the Tanita athlete setting is very close to what I get with skin calipers, oh, skin fold calipers. Okay. The Tanita average setting is very close to what I get with a DEXA scan. And I've found it's higher. Yes. Yeah. And I've My found that scan was higher. skin caliper tests, uh, for most people are, are one half to maybe, uh, a third of what you see. All right. I, in my case, I'll just share my case. Yeah. In my case, DEXA or sorry, the skin caliper tests are half of what you see with a DEXA scan. So if I'm 5% or I'm, uh, I think, mm. yeah, the last one that I did was 6% on calipers. And I think I was like, uh, 10.9 with yeah. the DEXA, right? So yeah. close enough. And as a trainer who's done hundreds of skin fold tests, uh, yeah. which is the skin calipers, uh, you know, you, you're like the prime candidate for somewhat of an accurate skin fold yeah. uh, on the more accurate side. Uh, there are people you cannot fold their skin. Yeah. Um, that all sorts of reasons, but it literally will not work for some people. Yeah. So that's another reason kind of getting a, a DEXA scan is a cool idea. And some people like yeah. carry a ton of fat in specific spots where they might pinch on a skin full caliber yeah, test. They happen to, right. You know what I mean? Cause so, it's usually like four to five. I can't, it's been a while since I've done them. Yeah. The, the um, one that I do, um, <laughs> you'll Google it. It seems super weird. It's like Scooby's skin fold caliper test and some like Jack dude in a fedora that like, uh -oh. has like, yeah, it's kind of <laughs> weird, but, um, he has like a little like thing that basically tells you to measure here, measure here, measure here. And the fact is if you can't afford one of these scales, yeah. you can do a skin fold caliper test. You can yeah. get calipers on Amazon for like $9. And then the key thing is that you track this sort of thing consistently. In other words, you measure 100%. in the same exact spot. Yeah. And yeah. I have to tell this to people all the time and it's the truth, but 
it doesn't really matter what you have access to to find out what your body fat is and how accurate it is as long as the consistency is there. Obviously, totally. we want more accurate, but if your skin fold test, say it's off 5%, but it's a consistent 5% off, you're yeah. still going to see your progress. And that's the most important thing. I mean, you want bragging rights and say, yo, single digit. <laughs> sure. Up. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, just make sure that is, that is the most important thing that you are consistent yep. with it. Time of day. Um, who's helping you, where you took the measurements exactly. Those are going to be really important. The final bit of the final bit on this part is, uh, I think the reason that this is important and this, if you're a bodybuilder, you totally get this, but also mm. if you're a cyclist, you get this too. Uh, if you are training a ton and you feel like you should be losing weight and you're doing a strength training routine and everything else. Yep and you weigh 175 pounds, uh, or let's just say you weigh, you know, 125 pounds. And then you, uh, you train, follow all that stuff. And then you expect, cause you feel so good. You look different, everything else. And you get on the scale and you're 125 pounds again, mm -hmm. uh, you might get upset and you think, why am I not losing weight? <laughs> yeah. But that's where something like these scales can really come in handy. Cause you'll see that your lean mass went up, your fat mass went down. Exactly. Right? And so. remember a pound of muscle only takes up 18% of the room, a pound of fat takes up. Yeah. So it can have a dr dramatic visual difference and still weigh the same. Yep. Exactly. Yeah. Right. So you've been measuring your body composition. Yeah. Absolutely. Um, what about, let's talk on the diet side of things. You mentioned carrots and coffee. Carrot, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's every day. Um, so what I started to do to address it, obviously I wasn't happy about my body fat. Yeah. Um, and truthfully, I want to find a system for my clients. Like, that is consistent that they can do. That's very clear. Um, and just a little disclaimer, I've kind of avoided going to this, um, kind of side with my training because yeah. it, nutrition is so annoying. It's super individual. It, it, it's yeah. very variable. And it's so, people are so passionate and yes. like religious about what they do with their food, even more so than training that it's been until this experience that I've really had to figure this out. And we're learning more about nutrition every single day. Right. So anybody that says that we have it all figured out, and this is exactly how your body responds to every sort of input, whatever mm -hmm. that is, that's not true. Like we're learning more about nutrition every day and it's evolving. Yeah. So I, I can almost promise you that everything you'll hear about nutrition has an equal argument on the opposite side saying yes. the exact opposite thing and probably valid complete common sense stuff. <laughs> yeah, okay. Exactly. Like, yeah. yeah. Okay. So you know, what I wanted to opt for and to have some flexibility, especially with the day's riding, all that manipulation, um, was just tracking my food. Yeah. And what's, what's so eye opening about tracking your food is that I have eaten, I've, I've progressed my diet over the last 10 years. Yeah. The first time I had a nutritionist tell me, Hey, you need to eat tomatoes and black beans and whatever. Yeah. Um, I was like, okay, I will put tomatoes on my subway sandwich, but yeah. I don't like them too much. So two thin slices only, or I'm going to put bell peppers on my Mac and cheese. Like yeah. that's where I started. I grew up on Reese's puffs. Yeah. Um, so, and it's been a 10 year evolution to where I'm like, wow, you know, I honestly eat mostly whole foods. Yeah. Um, but I had no idea that I was eating, you know, 1500 extra calories and yeah, it's avocado and and it's olive oil and it's yeah. potatoes and it's one ingredient, super nutritious food. Yep. Um, but I was way overdoing it. And that's what the food tracking showed me instantly. I love avocados. Amazing. But bad for uh, your macros. Exactly <laughs> right. So there's, there are two things that you can measure, right? Like, um, well, there are many things you can measure, but commonly yeah. people count calories and they count macros. They mm -hmm. may do both. Um, I found that if you're trying to do both, it's extremely hard. Actually, uh, you'll be amazed when you're trying, when you're hitting your calories, how far off your macros should be. And when we're talking about macros we're basically talking about the breakdown between carbohydrate, protein, and fat. Yeah. And 
uh, it's funny, like, especially like the millennial avocado toast, like obsession that we have, right? <laughs> so like uh, everyone wants avocado on everything, like, and it's in everything. But until you start counting your macros, not just your calories, you do not realize how much fat you take in. Yeah. It's unbelievable. Like and we take in so much and a lot of it even is healthy fat. Like, yeah. so I know healthy fats are in vogue, but I always <laughs> laugh when people are like, yeah, like I'm having a meal and it's like, uh, I don't know. It's like, a Sour cream, cheese, avocado, <laughs> yeah. beef, and yeah, yeah totally, yeah. Oil. So you <laughs> have like oil sauce. you have plenty of fat already, and you have some healthy fats in there, right? And you don't need to add in an avocado to make it more healthy. I was just thinking of a right? keto chipotle bowl, which <laughs> yeah. everyone's obsessed with. Yeah. Exactly. So it's like uh, when you count your macros, it gets really complex. I I think we both use MyFitnessPal. Yep, it's really helpful for that. And what I, you can basically like, uh, depending if you do the premium version or not, you can basically like, uh, have goals for your macros yeah. and adjust those. Um, I don't, do you have a goal that you shoot for in terms of a proportion there? So actually not with macros. Okay. Um, I have started on the calorie side because yeah. I'm, you know, within a year of even starting this food tracking thing, which I recommend yeah. starting with calories for sure. Uh, yeah. Start with calories. Mm-hmm. And then I would just say, be mindful of what your ratio is with your, your carbs, fat, and protein, that macro breakdown, because what Jonathan's referring to, when you track your macros, you track per gram, each macronutrient. Yeah. So you might say, Hey, I'm not going to, it's not 2000 calories I'm following. It's, you know, 250 grams of carbohydrates and 80 grams of fat and so on. So, um, I started with calories, mm-hmm. uh, because it is in line with your basal metabolic rate. Yes. And with that, premium that you're talking about on my fitness pal, you yeah. can still see like, it's like a pie chart and it shows you, Oh, you ate 50% carbs, 20% protein, yeah. 30% fat. And so it's something to be mindful of. Totally. Um, and those are typically targets that I tell my clients to kind of shoot at. Yeah. And what's funny is that, you know, this is where the individuality comes in, but I have, I have some clients that are high performers that eat up to 70% carbs. Yep. Um, and I have some clients that are high performers that, you know, kind of swing it the other way and do like 60% fat. Yep. Um, and that is the real, you know, there's lots of reasons for that, but I would say start with calories and then be mindful of your macronutrients. Yep. Um, and then if you feel like you want to take it to the next level, like right now, I specifically need to up my protein to continue getting lean. Uh, my goal is 9%. So that is like a, a very specific tweak that I found out I need to do. Uh, but it's, it's taken months of putting in this into practice. Yeah. Like and you have day. to kind of figure it out. Uh-huh. Uh, when you mentioned your basal metabolic rate, that's basically like the energy your body needs to keep the lights on. That's right. It's not you walking around. Nope. It's basically just keeping human function going. Yeah. Right? It's you wake up, you don't even get out of bed and you lay down all day. Super yeah. depressing. Yeah. Um, but th- that's the amount of calories you would burn. Yep. Um, to give you kind of an example, I am like 153 uh, pounds. Mm-hmm. I'm 5'9". And right now I'm around 11% body fat, hopefully a little leaner. We'll see. Um, but <laughs> we'll see what that vacation did. Yeah. But, um, but my basal metabolic rate is around 1700. Yeah. Um, so just to give you an idea, if you're a bigger person, it's going to be up. If you're a smaller person, it's going to be down. The more muscle you have, the more, the higher your metabolic rate is going to be. Yeah. Mine's mine's 1750. Yeah, Extremely close. Mm-hmm. Um, I've found that you can go online and use a basal metabolic rate calculator Dude, and it is very accurate. Very accurate. I, yeah. I was it's, gonna <laughs> it's kind of weird, right? <laughs> I've done, I've done and the that's equations. a test across three people and mm-hmm. like with three people here at work, we all took, and we actually got it measured with gas exchange 
and oh, it incredible. was and it was exactly on with like no the, way. yeah yeah so yeah. i the biggest yeah. swing i've had is 40 calories yeah but that is like close enough dude. oh yeah totally yeah. so that's a really easy thing to do and that's kind of like your baseline mm-hmm. um i don't recommend i see a lot of people say okay there's my basal metabolic rate i'm gonna short change that by 50 Terrible by idea. 200 by Terrible. something like that you gotta add it you do the opposite yep exactly right yeah. because you have other activities that you're doing yeah, just you waking up, putting your pants on, hopefully, uh, <laughs> chewing some food, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. and walking around. You should be adding some, uh, they shouldn't be completely arbitrary numbers, but they should be educated guesses. Yeah. Like, I have a very active job. I'm on my feet training. I'm demoing squats and push ups all day. Uh, so, with my basal metabolic rate being around 1,700, I add 300 for my baseline, and it's an easy 2,000. That's what I've tracked. Yep. Uh, it's been great for me. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I have people who, for example, if I have a 50 year old woman who sits at a desk, I'll have her add no more than a hundred calories. Yep. Um, so I would say stick between a hundred, 300. Some people add even more than that for yep. their active. I would just say be, you know, um, Use some common sense on that one. Yeah, my yeah. basal plus active is yeah. 1950 is yeah. what I found for yeah, my work day. Yeah. Yep. Perfect. So, and and that's just the way that I found that is just over time, mm-hmm. I just keep track of everything, right? Yeah. So the data is there. And then I eat and then, uh, you know, a great way to make sure you're doing that is mm-hmm. to then train. <laughs> and if you have a power meter, it's super helpful because you're getting yeah. a really accurate indication of the caloric burn. If you're like on a road bike, you know, something yeah. like that. But we should say there's a difference between your, your daily activity and then your workout. Exactly. And, right. And also on the way here, because I really wanted some actionable steps. Yeah. I tried to find, I was like, what is the equation for, uh, you know, how many calories you burn just in your daily lifestyle? Like yes. we're talking about, yep. dude, it is complicated. It's complex. I wouldn't even go down that road. It's so, like, you have to figure it out by experimentation. I feel like so I'm, I'm with you when you have the 300 that you add on. Yeah. If you do a workout, that's not included in that. It, that's on top of that once again. That's right. So that's an important thing for people to understand. And the cool part about using a power meter is you get such direct measure mm. of energy expenditure because it measures wattage, thusly measures kilojoules, and you can convert that straight across to calories, right? Absolutely. So it's really helpful. And that's how I've been able to kind of refine it down to figure 1950. Oh yeah. Uh, and that will change as my body changes. And as time goes on, it's not like a fixed thing, right? right. That will change. If I get more lean mass, I'm going to burn more, that sort of a thing. Yeah. Um, but the interesting part is I know that for example, I'm going to do a workout and it's totally going to stress me. Like yeah. it's going to push me to my limits. And I have fueled that day up to, I don't know, like 1700 calories and I've got X amount of hours left in the day. So I figure that's about right to put me in a zero spot. Okay. Then throughout that workout, if I plan to fuel for the amount of kilojoules I expend during that workout, and if I can't finish that workout and I don't have anything like I was up all night or something Mm. like that the night before, I didn't eat enough throughout that day. I need to put more in the tank. And that's how I've kind of gotten to that 1950 is through failing workouts basically. Oh, so then do you not add calories for your workouts? Oh, absolutely. Oh, do. you do. Okay. I absolutely do. So you're saying but I that keep was getting you to it and not the post, like you would have added another, sure. say you burned just whatever, a thousand calories. Yeah. You would have added more on top of that. 19, absolutely. 1950. Okay. But I couldn't find that 1950 until I had a constant because I had nice. the constant of my basal metabolic rate yeah. and then I had a constant of my workout. So then I only had one variable. So it was really easy to figure it out just For like sure. math. Right. Yeah. And that's the cool part about a power meter. Whereas a heart rate monitor, you're just guessing. You don't it really is. know um, and, what and it is. Honestly, a lot of so. gym workouts are kind of a guess. I'm totally. going to be honest. You know, most of my clients on average, 
you burn between 400 and 600 calories when you're in the gym for an hour with me. So yeah. I usually give people 500. Yep. Uh, and the thing is what you'll notice is that even if you're off a couple hundred calories per day at the extreme, hopefully it's within a hundred, even if you're off of that, it's going to probably be so much closer <laughs> yeah. and better than what you were doing that you're going to see results. Yep. So if you don't feel like you have even enough consistency to start, just throw something out there and stick to it and yep. then it'll guide you. For sure. Uh, one other note that's cool on that is, is you get stronger, uh, you accrue more lean mass, or you're just capable of doing more work. Mm. You burn more calories. So that's something that's yeah. important to keep in mind. And once again, it's super easy to track with the power meter. Yeah. Um, this year when I got back into training in like November, after taking almost the whole year off to fix the knee stuff, uh, my FTP was about like 240. Mm. Now my FTP is about 310 up here at this elevation. And I'm thusly capable of burning a lot more. Mm. And I, I more energy is needed to fuel right. the workouts, right? Because right. I'm doing more work. So it's another perk, but something you have to keep track of. Because it, yes. for me, it's all about fueling the workout. Mm -hmm. and that's kind of like the main goal. I'm not like uh, giving myself uh, donuts because I'm burning more. It's just I need to make sure that I burn more. So it's something to, to keep in mind, I guess, for people. Yeah, and I think it's also the kind of the plus of being bike riders is that you have these long rides where you know you burned an extra two thousand calories that day. Yeah, and if you really do want to have a donut. Is it optimal? Probably not, but, um, it could potentially fit right into your calories for that day macros and keep you on track with yep. whatever your body fat goals are. Yeah. Uh, so I have a question for you. Are yeah. you, what are you adding for your workouts calories wise? Uh, so in terms of amount or yeah, the composition of the food, of the calories you burn, are you doing half? Are you doing, what do you do? Yeah. So I do, I do a hundred percent right now. Got it. Is that cause you're on maintenance? Uh, no, cause I'm in a build phase. So, oh, got it. so in the base phase, I would actually shortchange that. Okay. And I would shortchange basically if I have 1950 for my basal metabolic rate plus, or I have the 1750, then I add on 200 because yep. of just normal activity around the office. Yep. And then uh, a 1000 kilojoule or calorie workout that I've done, right? So if I've, then I add that on and I'm basically at 2950 and yep. that's where I'm at. So in the base phase, I'll actually shortchange that maybe by 50 to 100 calories, nothing much. I'll try to do that, right? Why is that? And the reason for that is because usually in the base phase, I haven't been training very much coming into that. Got it. I've got some extra fat. There you go. I can trim that extra fat. <laughs> yeah. And the workouts aren't capacitive, meaning that like they aren't stressing me to the point where I need extra fuel to be able to go through them. Yeah. So, but the key is to not shortchange it too much. But in most cases I would end up, I would always err on the high side. Mm -hmm. I would try to go 50, maybe a hundred calories under, but that was it. Yeah. But now since I'm in a build phase and if I don't eat enough, the next day's workout is going to be way harder yeah. and there are crucial workouts that are pushing me to my capacity. In that case, yeah. I do not shortchange it at all. Yep. And if I know that I have a particularly hard workout coming in, I do not stress if I eat more. Got it. Um, so that's, but then once I get into June, yeah, then I'm going to not be cutting, but I'm just going to try to hit my marks and I will stress a bit if I eat too much. So you initially try and shed a little fat yep. and then you get to somewhat of a like maintenance, uh, fat wise, but yep. you're building strength, yeah. uh, which you need to make sure you have the calories for. And Correct. then right at the end, you said you yeah, do the a specialty quick little cut. Just no, to get race weight. not trying to cut. Yeah. Uh, I should, I'm my race weight will be what my race weight is. Cool. 
Um, and I don't think that it's healthy or productive for an athlete that wants this targeting performance to really try to adjust their body composition right before an event. Definitely not. <laughs> you can get yourself into a lot of trouble. You don't even, at that point, don't even worry about yeah. it. Yeah. But um, the reason for that is because I'm not, my workouts aren't capacitive anymore at that point. Gotcha. Because really what I'm doing is I'm doing specific workouts that target the intensity that I'll be going through on race day, but it's a lot lower volume. Yeah. It's nothing too intense. I'm basically... I've done a ton of work to build my fitness up, yeah. but my freshness is low. And then when I'm in that specialty phase of that final bit, I'm tapering down on the amount of work I'm doing and my fitness is slow or my freshness is slowly ramping back up. So then hopefully I'm ready to go and fresh on race day. Nice. So because of that, I don't need to fuel the work workouts quite as severely. And, uh, but I don't want to be eating too much because I don't want to be gaining weight unnecessarily. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. So and, that's kind of where that goes. And I would say on those days you do really big ride days, mm -hmm. I would still track it, especially initially before you kind of learn your body, because, uh, lo and behold, even though I burned four calories, 4,000 calories in a day, I ate 4,500 <laughs> and it's easy to do that. <laughs> I can do it. And I can't honestly anymore, just after a few months of consistency, like my body revolts before that happens. Yeah. But I will say like, you'll be surprised at how fast you could put down an extra 2000 calories, man. Oh, it, it does is not like crazy. I mean, a uh, cliff bar is like 250, 300 calories. Yeah. And you ate that on your ride. Don't forget about it. Yeah, exactly. You did right. eat it that yep. day. So. Yeah. And yeah. it's, uh, I think the biggest thing that comes out to me from tracking macros and tracking calories, mm -hmm. just tracking food. Uh, if you don't want to use something like my fitness pal, just write it down in your notes app on your phone, whatever it is. Yeah. Gosh, that's so much harder though. Oh, it's, it is. It is. But the cool thing that you'll get from this is yeah. you will realize how much you snack unnecessarily. <laughs> I had someone say something funny about almonds. They were like, the almonds oh, yeah. I used to eat while I was loading my snack bag <laughs> of almonds was the amount I needed to eat. Yeah, exactly. And it is almost depressing how you'll be biting almonds in half to get the most out of them <laughs> yeah. because you can only eat 28 grams and that's one serving. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, you have to do it consistently so that you really learn and you have to do it with a wide variety of foods. Yeah. Now, again, if you don't want to download the app, you don't have to, but sure. the ease of eating something consistent, like, Oh, I have, you know, egg whites and oatmeal every morning. Now I can just swipe it over to the next day. It's done. It's easy. So, yeah, I would really encourage you to find a system like that. It's yeah, it makes it yeah. way more manageable. Which is a feature of the app, I should say. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. It's a good app to have for sure. Um, so you mentioned something, and th we could get so into the weeds on this, and we're only going to cover this really, like I guess, kind of at the end here. But no problem. Um, uh, in terms of the nutrition side of things, before we move into some training, but I want to cover the low versus low carb versus high carb. Nice. So like, uh, you know, keto, very low carb, uh, mm -hmm. and basically like, you know, that, so the, if you want to research keto, go ahead. That's a separate podcast. Uh, go listen to Joe Rogan. I'm sure he's talked about it a lot. <laughs> um, and then there, but there, then there's like the traditional perspective that a lot of people have of eating a ton of spaghetti the night before a race because you're carb loading. Mm. Um, I vacillate between the two, uh, not unintentionally, but very much intentionally. Um, do you, I, you mentioned that you have athletes that cover that side of things, but have you yeah. noticed that, that one, some days you aim for more carbs, some days you aim for less carbs, so yeah. that sort of thing. Yeah. I think. And it, when does it coincide? It, it coincides when based on your effort of yeah. your actual workout put that day. So whatever your workout was, especially as you get to more of the endurance category, you start upping the carbs. And I have seen people listen, you're going to see online that there's people eating keto and they ran a marathon. 
but did they win? (laughs) Did they do good? Did they complete it? And why do they care about the fact that they did? It's like people create boundaries so that they can put a ceiling on what they're capable of. Mm. And they do that. Well said. Well said. Thank you. They (laughs) do that with diet and it's such a prideful, weird thing. And I, the thing is, I do believe that people might be optimal. There are, there, is there a person that's optimal endurance athlete on keto? Probably. Sure. But you will find that out very quickly. If you start um, even paying attention to your food tracking and doing some version of carb cycling, which is kind of what Jonathan's referring to a little Mm -hmm. bit. It's just fluctuating the amount of carbs you have that day based on your actual activity. So maybe you have 40% carbs or you're tracking your grams and you have 200 grams on a non-active day. This is just arbitrary. Sure. Um, And then you're like, oh, well, I'm actually going to up my carb percentage because when I'm riding, I don't want to eat more fat or just protein and I need to have have a goo and some maple syrup and a cookie. Yeah. Whatever, and you're doing which more work. Is exactly what your body wants at that time. Yeah. So keep that in mind. It's okay to fluctuate that. And again, use common sense and don't be afraid to kind of swing one way or the other to figure out what your body wants. Yeah. You know, when I'm out riding, I could drink maple syrup. And if I don't do something like that, yeah, I feel heavy and my stomach feels full and I get crampy. Yeah. You know, so you just find out kind of what works for you on that end. But I would encourage you to fluctuate the carbs depending on your output that day. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. And I think that uh, they have their place. And before big races, uh, I absolutely take in a ton. I don't eat a ton of pasta. I mm-hmm. don't do that sort of a thing. Yeah. <clears throat> I take in, <clears throat> it's probably getting like way TMI here, but when I get into a race scenario and I have a race the next day, I usually eat a very fibrous, a lot of carbs that are complex. Yep. Uh, so they have like a lot of fibrous sources. So sweet potatoes, something like that. Mm-hmm. I'll be eating like a good amount of that the night before the race, a uh, very carb rich meal. And I don't stray away from fiber the night before, nice. but the morning of, I absolutely do not take in fiber because we know what fiber does. And on race day, you know, it can be a little (laughs) problematic, but the way that I look at it is, uh, you know, getting in more carbohydrate like that. And this is actually proven with that research has proven this, that I think a lot of people think that you take in carbs before a big race because you don't want to bonk. Right. And sure. Yeah. If you run out of carbohydrate, theoretically, even though you'll still like a glycogen depletion is something that we probably never really reach. Uh, you may feel, you know, the hypoglycemic, that sort Temporary, of a thing, yeah. but you really haven't completely depleted your stores. But really what we're talking about with bringing in carbs, isn't just avoiding a total failure point. It's improving performance. And science has proven the fact that there is improved performance when you take in, when athletes take in more carbohydrate, there's a point of diminishing returns, Mm -hmm. but it's glycogen loading. And it's basically, if you have more on hand within muscle cells, uh, it's fuel that can be used more readily and faster and thusly improve performance in a single moment, not just make you last longer when you're on the bike. Yeah, for sure. And I think also you really want to optimize the short term effects of carbohydrates and not just like carb load two days before or do, you know, that's a whole other topic, but you have to realize that carbs are going in and out of your system faster than any other macro. And to use them properly, you should be having that short term mindset, um, especially on the race day. Yeah. You totally. Know, Cause you're eating complex carbs coming up to it. Hopefully that's your kind of normal carbohydrate diet, yep. uh, throughout your week. Yep. Um, and then around your training, you start putting in the simple carbohydrates, the straight sugars, the goos, the gels, the stuff that makes you poop quick and energy. Then, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, but you put that quick energy that feels good for you. The drink mixes all that. And mm-hmm. those are the short term ones that you optimize. Yep. 
Uh, yeah, yeah. Ex- exactly. And I think that you can be in that. And then on days when I don't have like training scheduled or anything else, it's hard for me because I have a sweet tooth, but mm-hmm. I totally, I cycle back and I do not take in. So like on a typical training day, I'm mm-hmm. 60% carbohydrate. Yeah. And then I try to go to 20% fat and then the rest protein. It's hard to hit 20% fat. It is hard. It's extremely hard. Yeah. It's much easier to go to 30%, much easier. You'll find you're probably at like 50 or 60%. <laughs> it's crazy. <laughs> but, um, that's what I try to stick to on a training day. But then when it's not a training day, I'll drop back down to 40 Yeah. in terms of my macros. And, uh, you know, I've, could probably even go lower, but I guess the point is when we're talking about nutrition, mm-hmm. you're fueling your training and you're fueling your workouts. And when you have something like that coming up, you put in the right sort of fuel. And then when you have something where you're resting, you don't need that. And right. I feel like it's a, it's a good way to be healthy. And yeah. I know it's like a temptation for us cyclists to totally binge after a long ride and take in whatever we want. And we feel like it's a zero sum, like, like we can just take in whatever we want. Cause you just burned a lot of calories, Yeah. but this is definitely a way to feeling better mm-hmm. and feeling better is just going to be better across the board. Yeah. And you know, honestly, I would challenge everyone to not, I'm not saying cut out sugar. I'm just saying if you've never done some type of no dessert thing where you have, you can only eat high quality food and more complex type carbohydrates post pre and post ride. When you go out, I'm saying still hit your simple sugars, all of that. Totally. But when you come back and you're ready to like fuel up and you don't grab an ice cream or a donut or whatever it is, because these are all things that I've done and (laughs) love to do, you'll realize, oh, wow, I actually, I ate like a good amount of rice and I feel really good. And I I still feel full. Um, Hopefully you feel satisfied. Um, but that, that's a little challenge I would throw out there. Anytime you can put some kind of barrier on your nutrition, it's not long-term, the temporary switch, it'll tell you a lot about yourself. Be yep. smart. Don't do it on race week. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Just be, use no your day common like sense. <laughs> but the more types of things you tune with that, um, or apply the finer tuned your body will kind of get and the more you'll know yourself. Let's talk about training. Love it. And how kind of like this all mixes in. Yeah. So I want to talk about like the periodization side of things. I yeah. kind of mentioned that earlier, uh-huh. how, you know, a base phase, a build phase and a specialty phase is how we separate them here at trainer road. Yep. Um, uh, but, and we're looking to kind of do like different things, but strength training is no different. I assume. No, I mean, not if you're doing it optimally. Yeah. Um, yeah. So you're going to have similar phases. I actually go off the NASM OPT model, uh, which you can kind of look up and basically it starts with a kind of a correction phase moves into a muscular endurance, a strength endurance. It has hypertrophy, which is muscle growth, maximal or strength, max power, power, and then max power something like that. Yeah. Um, long story short, endurance, strength, power. Those are kind of the blocks that you want to build on. Mm-hmm. And, you know, when you have a long off season, obviously you can be in these one month to six week kind of phases like that and take your time and really build up toward that peak power. Yeah. Um, but yeah. what we kind of mentioned earlier is, you know, how do you do this mid season and kind of ma- manage that peak power between your race when you have one week till your next race, two weeks, four weeks, or like six weeks. Yeah. Cause too many of us cyclists, I feel like treat strength training as an off season activity. Right. And then after that, we're like, no, it takes care of itself. It'll maintain. Right. 
absolutely not true. Uh, and we think that we'll just carry on through the season and we'll have the benefits of it, but they, the benefits go away as you stop doing that training. Your body constantly is adapting in one way or another quickly. And you have to remember that at the minimum, and you can look up super compensation, type that into Google. Mm -hmm. Uh, we actually talked about it on the last podcast. It's like the coolest term ever, by the way. It it sounds rad. It makes me sound somewhat (laughs) smart, but, um, it really is the rationale behind what I'm about to say. Yeah. True maintenance for strength is going to be one day, at least one day a week through your season. Mm-hmm. Um, I still don't believe that's optimal just because your body needs to stay, it needs to stay mobile, it needs to stay primed mm-hmm. and it needs to stay activated. Um, so when you're doing one day a week, yeah, the extra four days you're doing on the bike in season, it is complementing it. Um, but you start to lose the real benefits of that prehab, uh, the, to stuff, the injury prevention stuff you do when you yep. go all the way down to one day a week. And I'm not saying you have to do two hard days a week. It's just, it's the consistency and the repetitive, like a body in motion stays in motion. Yeah. Very cliche to say, but so true. And like we, you're talking about in that off season, you may be working on a strength phase, right? Or like yep. Mac or like a max power phase, something like that. Right. But then when we're into that more maintenance focus throughout the season, yeah. we're not trying to, you're not stressing the body like crazy. It's, and I think that too many people, mountain bikers, stressing the body like crazy in your training sessions. Yes, exactly. You right. are in racing. Yeah. Yeah. And I think too many people stack their season or their training calendar too full of training on the bike. I know that sounds crazy, especially me working at trainer road, <laughs> yeah. but what I'm getting yeah. at is like, we see honestly, in many cases, the most improvements when a person follows our low volume plan. During versus the, the mid volume or versus the high volume wow. at any phase. Wow. And I think that it's because people can adhere to it and they mm. can do it well. So it's like usually three days a week, right? Three to four days a week. Right. And, uh, those, you know, those three to four days a week, depending on the phase you're in, you might have an easy day on the bike. One of those days, that sort of a thing. But when you can actually knock out your training plan and you can do that, right. It, it, then you're going to get the sort of adaptations you want. But if you're trying to follow a mid volume plan and life's the time that life gives you, and then the stresses that life puts on you, doesn't allow you to absorb or have the time to train or absorb that training stress you're putting into your body, you're going to reach a point where you're not going to improve anymore. You're going to reach a point where eventually you're going to suffer and not be able to complete your workouts. You reach a point of diminishing returns basically. And, and I think that a lot of athletes look at things and they're like, I need to train four or five days a week. And then if they are incorporating strength training, they're like, all right, you know, I'll throw that in just one day a week and I'll call that Mm. good. And I think that's the wrong way to do it. In my mind, spend a little less time on your bike and just make it extremely high quality. And then just because like when you're in the gym, like think about this, like you don't go to the gym and just kind of like twirl weights around Uh, and then every once in a while lift them hard. I worked in a lot of gyms. (laughs) A lot of people do do that, but you shouldn't. There are Instagram accounts for this sort of thing that you could follow. Um, (laughs) But like if, so here's what I'm getting at. You get on a bike and you can put in four hours on the bike and, and three and a half of those hours were totally pointless. Like Mm. you were spinning your pedals for maybe some of that. But it's like going to the gym and just like looking at the weights and kind of like barely picking them up. Right. And that's like what you're doing. And then every once in a while you actually lift. Yeah. Or walking around without a plan. You're like, oh, that looks good. And then you see some guy doing this. You're like, oh, just do some yeah. of that. Absolutely. So that it, that's, and the funny thing is you would think that that's, everyone thinks that's absurd when you think of it in the gym paradigm. Right. But on the bike paradigm, we do not think that's absurd because we're mm-hmm. like, oh no, we're out on a ride and mm-hmm. riding is training. Riding is not training. Training is training. Nice. And when you're out on the bike, 
I feel like if you brought down the time you spend on your bike, make it more concentrated, you would have more time to spend in the gym. You'd be a more well-rounded athlete. You'd yeah. probably be healthier, happier. And you'll also have more time for life. And if you took it's that same concept be to your gym workouts, you would get the same exact results. Yeah. You would get more out of your really, really structured 30 to 45 minutes that you would twirling weights around for an hour and a half. Yeah. Um, in and that's, I mean, that's where the program comes in yeah. and that's where being specific. And even if you say, Hey, you know what, what's realistic is a low volume plan yeah, and that's what I can manage and I'm going to execute it. And guess what? You know what? I actually found an extra 20 minutes where I'm going to add that one yoga session for the next month. Exactly. And that's all I'm adding. And guess what? I nailed it. Now I know what I can add on for the next month or I know I can actually reel it back in Yeah. when you overdo it. And again, you have to find this baseline. It's going to take a little trial and error, but you do not learn anything about your body. You just learn that training's hard. I don't have time. Yeah, That's all you exactly. Learn. And the, yeah. So I yep. think what Jonathan's saying is that, you know, you hear about these pro level programs that are six to seven days a week of a mix of all the trainings that we're talking about. Uh, but if you know, Hey, three to four days, that is my entry level. Mm -hmm. Um, I will personally tell you, think common sense on this way. Your entry level should really be four days. Your body is going to basically resemble what you do most often. And if you're not in there's seven days in a week, you better be on that four day side of working out. Yep. Um, again, your one workout could be a 20 minute stretch session, but that will help recovery and help your next workout. So it's not an intense thing, but it's structured and it's planned and you're getting the real results from it. So how would you fit it into a season? Like, let's say yeah. like a typical training season, like a person, I don't know if you want to do we want to assume that somebody's like in a build phase or we want to assume that somebody's like in terms of their cycling training, or do you want to assume that they're just like in the think, normal maintenance phase? Well, I think specialty. mid season. Cool. Mid season. Let's yeah. So let's say so they're building up. They're, they're building up for the next event basically. Cool. Yeah, yeah. Um, how would you fit it in on like day to day? Cause that's a big question. Mm -hmm. People are like, do I tr strength train on the same day as I actually ride my bike or, you know, I think you can. Yeah. I think that's, that's pretty individual. Um, I will say rule of thumb, the more you can space out your sessions across the board, probably the more recovery and the more you're going to be able to put into each one of those sessions. Yes. So, you know, if you have two strength sessions per week, if you could do it on a Tuesday and a Friday, that's ideal. If you can only do it on a Tuesday and Wednesday, I say do it, but just know as soon as you can space them out, you're going to try and go for that. Now, same thing kind of goes with riding, you know, racing is a little different because you need to train back to back days and all that. Um, but I would say rule of thumb, space it out as much as you can optimize your recovery. Yeah. I, even on the riding side of things, like you'll look our low volume plans yeah. when it's three days a week, it spaces it out. Yeah. It gives you days off and that's intentional. You yeah. can restructure it. Yeah. And in enduro, you might be doing back to back days, maybe you're in cross country, but even then you'll be surprised what your day, your body can do for one day mm -hmm. when it comes to race time, you can probably get away with doing it on a two day race and you don't need to replicate that in your training. Yeah. And if you know, mm -hmm. Hey, you know, I have three days a week to work out. One of the days I happen to have the entire day and I'm going to do a big ride in the morning and strength at night, vice versa, that one day you, you should do it. Sure. Absolutely. Cause you're still getting those sessions in and it's the current optimal for what you have to give. Yeah. Can I, um, I want to talk about one thing with recovery days. I see some people asking yeah. like, should I lift on my recovery days when I'm off the bike? How, and, and who asked that? <laughs> it's, it's a common question. I lift weights on your recovery day? Yeah. Yeah. It's a big question because people are like, I'm not spending, I train Monday, Tuesday. Oh, recovery just between And then Thursday, Friday, 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 Saturday, Sunday. I also do, but Wednesday is my day off. 
So is that the day that I should lift weights? No. And it's not right. Because you want to no. optimize recovery. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Big thing. If you take that Wednesday completely off that idea, that's where your little stretch routine comes in. Mm-hmm. Um, however, yeah, you're probably better off double stacking a day yes. and then still having a day where you really like, it's the yin and yang people. Like, mm-hmm. you know what I mean? Like you gotta, <laughs> you gotta swing the pendulum the other way yeah. so you can swing it so it can come all the way back. Yes. Um, and yeah, I think, I mean, honestly, the pendulum a metaphor is a great example. It's like you stop it halfway and it starts rocking there. It doesn't go as far. It doesn't pick back up. You know what yeah. I mean? So uh, think of it that way. And I would say double stack your day before you don't have at least one day off. Yeah. Uh, and again, you make time for your fitness and your training every single day. It's just the intensity. So that one day off, it's really, it should be at least 10 minutes of stretching. Yeah. Please people, for the love of God, <laughs> do it in the shower. Just yeah. do something. It's easy. Just move that day. Take your take each joint through its full range of motion once and you're going to be way better off. Yeah, yeah. That's all it takes. It yeah. doesn't take much. I want to talk a bit about... Um, so recently I saw you were at, it's kind of funny. You're doing the same thing I was doing at the same gym I was at, but it was a place where we do not live. Right. Um, down in Santa Monica, the Equinox gym. That Wait, they you, there. you weren't there at the same time. <clears throat> not at the same time. Oh, okay. I was like, at a different time, yeah. but the same place doing the same exact thing in the same exact spot in the gym, right. which is kind of weird and creepy. But, um, <clears throat> you, I saw you, uh, you were down in Equinox in Santa Monica and you were using a Viper. That's right. I used to work there. People, they taught me a lot that I know. Nice. And, uh, yeah, Viper super kind of explain what it is. It's like a, um, Oh my gosh. Someone just commented on my Instagrams. Like that looks like this type of piping. Uh, it, it basically looks like a big, uh, it's like a four foot long and maybe a foot in diameter cylinder. They kind of vary in sizes. That's probably the most typical one. It's got, it's all rubber, multiple handles. It's hollow. And long story short, it just gives you leverage and grip points that you really can't find with other training tools out there. Yeah. And the point of it being all rubber is that you can throw it, you can toss it, you can slam it on the ground, uh, and you can comfortably move it around. Yeah. 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 They're pretty cool. Um, I did a Viper and animal, animal flow, uh, class yeah. there and I couldn't walk for like a week because yeah. the animal flow, I was like, this isn't hard. Yeah. Which animal um, flow. So people know is like, yeah. it, it's kind of yoga esque and you know, imagine yoga and you mix in plank variations with really kind of wild stuff. You might even do a bear crawl and yeah. growl a little bit, yeah. You know? <laughs> yeah. but it's mostly body weight. So, I mean, he's basically saying with a body weight, a lot of movement yep. and a training tool that Vipers, you know, aren't super heavy in comparison to normal weights. Yeah. He was wrecked. Oh yeah. yeah. I was absolutely destroyed. And really because it was working me outside of my tr- typical range of motion Yeah, and working me in just a totally dynamic way, whereas cycling is so not dynamic, yeah. right? Like, um, but anyways, I wanted to talk to you about those alternative methodologies Yeah, because I feel like a lot of people just go onto YouTube and they find like, uh, bro science life guy. And they're just like, you know, this guy's telling me to do this in the gym. Yeah. And I've heard that I need to do gym work and I'm a mountain biker and I care about my performance on the bike. Mm -hmm. So I should just do these overhead presses with this bar that, you know, and, and stack on plates onto that thing because that's what this guy's saying. Or I should, you know, do battle ropes and just do battle ropes all day because that's what this guy's saying. Something like that. In other words, I find people looking at a specific movement or a methodology like animal flow or something like that. Right. Is there a guiding principle that you could kind of, or maybe we can talk about those principles. Like how do I know if an exercise is going to make me a better mountain biker mm-hmm. or if it's not really going to help me with that? Okay. Where so, would you draw the line? Yeah, that I think 
there's a lot of angles to that question because, you know, you have a guy that's total bodybuilder that says you need to shoulder press a hundred reps. Well, yeah. shoulder presses aren't bad. In fact, it's excellent for mountain bikers. Cool. Um, but it's just one piece of the puzzle. Do you need to do 50 reps like he's talking about and wear a weight belt and do all that? Probably not. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. on the other side of and it, a you'll have mask. on the other side of it, you'll have these animal flow people that are like, Oh, you, you know, calisthenics is it. You only need to touch your body weight or excuse me. That sounded weird. <laughs> you only need to train with your body weight and touch, don't touch weights. Yeah. <laughs> um, so the biggest principle I would say is that when you look at your strength training days, you need to have at least two days and they need to be total body. The reason they need to be mm. total body is because for one, you only have two days in the gym. It'd be really hard to not do total body and hit right. everything. Um, and to have proper balance, reduce compensation, total body is important. However, or excuse me, working all ranges of motion, but whether you do animal flow or a shoulder press, I would just say, make sure that you have it, honestly kind of a mix. Like a lot of the circuits that I'll do are, you know, a deadlift to a bench press to a bear crawl. So you have two very traditional strength movements, but mm -hmm. then you're connecting it with that total body core stability complex movement. Yeah. Now, if I were to tell you to do one over the other, um, you know, the total body movements like renegade rows, you have dumbbells, you're stabilizing your core, you're pulling, you're pushing, you're using your strength. Those are probably the most important movements for cycling. Yeah. Like if you can brace and move at the same time, yeah. that is going to translate to your mountain biking more than anything. I feel like, does that like, make sense? Totally. Yeah. I yeah. feel like like Turkish getups, renegade rows or like are yeah. the Turkish getups. I can, I never, I don't know. Yeah. Started on the floor. Yeah. yeah. You pick up, uh, the way. Women, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. By yeah. the way, when my wife has her baby, when that baby's out, <laughs> are you going to Turkish I'm get up try. the baby? Yeah. Yeah. No, like no. Her. <laughs> <laughs> Good night. And she'll be holding the baby. Oh, nice. <laughs> no, that's awesome. Uh, that's a goal. But, um, but yeah, I think, you know, think, just think bracing under movement. So, you know, for a battle rope, for example, imagine you're standing in a split stance similar to your pedals yeah. and you have a rope in one hand. Now you're going to slam that rope up and down as hard and as fast as you can while maintaining a stable base of support, which is your body. So if you can get that arm moving hard and powerfully and yeah. none of the rest of your body is moving, that's a movement that's going to translate to the bike. Cause think about it. You're going around a corner, maybe you're turning your hips, but basically from your hips all the way through your feet, you have to brace, take the G force, but guess what's moving your arms like a ton and you're pulling your bars around. Yeah. So if you can't brace and move at the same time, translate that power, you're going to have a hard time uh, feeling the performance out on the bike. So like those dynamic yeah. movements that are involving more than just like curling a bar. Absolutely. Right? Yeah. 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 Stuff that requires your total body. And again, that is what I pick number one. Mm -hmm. Um, it doesn't mean that curling a bar is necessarily like a bad thing for some people. So just keep that in mind. Yeah. Well, last question on this. Okay. This is a philosophical question. Perhaps uh -oh. is gym training is, is strength training in the gym. Is that cross training? No, because <laughs> that's a, a lot of people view it as that, right? Yeah. Confucius says no. <laughs> Why do you say that? Okay. It's not cross training mainly because it is not a on off season sport. Uh, gym training is a part of your cycling training full time. Yeah. As soon as you experience it, you will understand why. Uh, but like Jonathan said, your body's constantly adapting. So, you know, you doing those gym sessions is to treat your body. And I, 
sorry, this is kind of a little bit of a tangent. Please. There's very few people that get, you know, that only care about their race performance. Yeah. That's what I've really learned working with people. As much as you care about cycling, it's number one goal. You want to go be able to kick a soccer ball with your niece and nephew and not feel like you threw your hip out or whatever. Yep. And that strength training year round is so mandatory for that. So kind of keep that in mind too. Um, but yeah, I mean, we said what's good cross training for cycling is backcountry skiing, cross country skiing, similar yep. range of motion, similar energy system. Yeah. It's strength training is so dramatically different than riding yeah. that you, it, it, you can't compare it like that. Yeah. Or you can't just say that, oh, it's just complimenting it. Because yes. I promise you, if you just strength train for a few months and you don't ride, <laughs> you get back on the bike, you're not going to feel great. <laughs> yeah. If you just ride for a long time. And then might, get back into the gym. And then you get back, exactly. You are not going to be able to walk. <laughs> but if you strength train for a long time and you cross country ski for a couple months, honestly, you probably feel pretty decent on the bike. Yep. So think of it that way. Yeah. Yeah. I like that. Yeah. That was a good conversation, man. Dude, I loved it. I honestly, you know, I had fun doing the news, but as soon as we started talking this training, I just felt way more relaxed. It's your, it's your, it's your, it's your vibe. That's I love what you it. do. I, I honestly, guys, like I believe in it so much. And, you know, from my personal experience to seeing the, like now thousands of people I've worked with and, you know, I, I don't even know how many people I've gotten really, really good results. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But like when you see those people and you know what they experience or the fact that, they went out for a five hour mountain bike ride. They're not racing and there was no pain and they were able to take in the scenery more that day yeah. or they were able to spend more time with their son or, you know, it is almost like cheesy sounding, but at the end of the day, that's, that's the most important. So when I get that feedback, um, it just, it's, it makes me realize why I do what I do. So there are different measures of success and it enables it. Absolutely. Sure. So yeah, I just want to say, I, I believe in it a lot and, I, and it needs to be cleared up. Yeah. Again, oh, I'm, for I'm sure. so tired. It's been, you guys, I've been a trainer now full-time almost seven years. It has been up until the last two years that I really felt like I could figure it out. And that's with over 10 years of racing experience. Yeah. On top of that, <laughs> of yeah. mountain biking, multiple disciplines. And, you know, I road ride and, and, and so long story short, there's not a lot of people who have figured this out. And when you do your dive of information, there's going to be a lot of conflicting stuff because it, I had to, I had to try CrossFit. I had to try bodybuilding. I had to try all these things to figure out how much volume you take, what movements are important and how to implement it with a real full-time riding schedule. So I, I figured it out and I'm just so passionate about it. So that's, yeah. Sweet. I, I don't even know. That was a rant. That felt <laughs> good to get off my chest. <laughs> We're here for that. We're here for that. Uh, let's close it out with uh, some tips. You don't care. They're counting on your tips to live. All right, I'm going to go first on the tip here and then we'll, we'll end off with yours. Um, so the first thing I wanted to share, it, this seems like I know very roadie of me, but, uh, a light set that I've been using, not like a, to go do sweet night rides on my mountain bike, but for sure. Is this safety. one that you clip on your razor? <laughs> <laughs> I'm just kidding. Yeah. I shave my legs, yeah. people. <laughs> um, no, so this is uh this, these are lights for safety on bikes. Nice. Um, uh, recently we've, uh, in our region here, mountain biking and cycling, we've lost a dear friend, uh, to an accident on the bike, um, Tate Mankies and we miss and love him. And thinking about that sort of thing, uh, it just made me wonder why in the world am I not making sure that I am doing everything I can to be safer on the bike when I'm riding on the road. Mm. And I, I ride a lot less on the road now that our son is here, you know, like yeah. back in the day, I used to spend a ton of time on the road and I really spend hardly any time. Part of that 
sure is because I'm more time crunched, but also just because riding on the road has so many risks. Um, so I, I don't know if this is something that is going to save me, but I know it doesn't hurt. And I wanted to get some good lights, but being a nerd that I am, I wanted to make sure that they weren't aero or they weren't aerodynamically, you know, inefficient or anything <laughs> like that. I don't want to have a gigantic thing on my bike. So, That's awesome. um, bond trader, I'm usually not like a big, like, uh, I'm not like a Trek fanboy by any means, but some things they do really well, Trek or bond trader, the mm -hmm. other brand. Yeah. And one of the things they do really well are lights and they have the bond trigger. There's like a set you can get. It's the ion 200 RT and flare RT. And they're these tiny little cubes, like super small. Yeah. I'm um, listening. Cause like I need a light right now. That's perfect. Yeah. And they don't light enough to make it so that you can ride home at night. Mm. But what they do is they have a number of different modes when they sense that you're moving, they can turn into a flash mode. When they sense that you're not moving, they go into a dim setting and they go down. Nice. When it's dark outside, they'll actually not be as bright. They're still plenty bright. But then when it's bright outside, they go extremely bright nice. because they know that they need to be relatively uh, better there. They also pair to my Garmin. So now when my Garmin turns on and I start, my lights turn on. It's kind of nerdy. So but, you don't uh, forget too. So then I don't forget. And so you, they last you'll run forever. these daylight also. Absolutely. Got it. Yeah, absolutely. And I'm running them that way because of the safety side of things. Yeah. Um, so they flash with a somewhat irregular pattern, which helps. Mm -hmm. Um, I know I could do something even further, like get the Garmin Varia. It's like a radar and a tail light that basically as the car gets closer, it flashes brighter, faster, and it changes like patterns sometimes That's too. Rad. And then it also tells you on your head unit, it tells you when a car is coming and it shows how close the car is getting. So that's another helpful thing. So that would be like next level. Yeah. But if you don't want to do that, they, these aren't really cheap lights. It's like a hundred dollars for the set of a front and rear light. And mm -hmm. for not providing enough light to ride home, I understand that's probably a little high, right. um, but these last a long time, they're bright and they have some cool features that I feel like make it safer. So if you spend any time on the road, uh, please just consider the different things you can do to make it safer. So I love that. Yeah. That's a product for the tip yeah, on my sure. side. You have a bit more of like a process or I guess just a thing you've been doing that yeah. you want to share. Yeah. So obviously we covered nutrition quite a bit in this and food tracking and calorie deficits. Um, one thing we didn't say, I'll just plug in real quick. Um, I'm only adding in half of the calories burned through exercise. It's Ooh, a lot more aggressive. Wow. And so but that's how you've cut down so much. I bet it's how I cut down quite yep. a bit, mm -hmm. a lot of weight. I didn't think I had people honestly. Yeah. And so I've lost a little muscle, but I've gotten stronger through the process. And one thing that is really common when you're in a deficit is to feel lethargic, low on energy. Um, but because I was so close, so regularly to my basal metabolic rate and I wasn't under eating, mm -hmm. I have felt so much more energized than I would if I was overeating now. Yeah. If I was perfectly, you know, maintaining and not overeating, then maybe I would have even more energy, yeah. but it has brought on so much more energy that I actually added in a third strength workout, which I'm experimenting with right now. Huh. But because I literally was sitting there one day and it was a day off typically. And I was like, I feel like I need to do some pushups or something, honestly. Yeah. So that came after about three weeks of doing this. So I would say, don't let the fear hmm. of low, um, low performance, stop you from being in a deficit. Make sure it's a smart deficit. Don't start anything new close to your racing. Um, but that is one misconception that, you know, I was even a little surprised about the energy it brought on. I wonder how much of that is also because of the higher quality food that you're pro cause I mm. guarantee you you're eating higher quality food now. So then yeah. you were right. I cut out for two months. It was seven and a half weeks, actually no alcohol, no dessert type foods. I was still eating sugar. 
Yeah. But let me tell you, no alcohol, no dessert was, I think, a game changer for that. Yeah. But, you know, beyond that, I really think it's because I have a tendency to overeat. Mm -hmm. And, you know, it's why it's on my daily mission statement, eat until you're satisfied, not till you're full, like you mentioned. But I think in what I've experienced now, when you overeat, your body has to go into overtime work mode to process this food. Huge insulin and releases. Yeah, 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 yeah. And I was constantly under this feeling like if I'm not full, then I'm hungry. Yep. And actually, I'm, I can hang out right in between for a while, hours. Yep. You know, I don't have to eat every three hours. And so I would say, I think that is the big thing is that my body isn't kind of run down by the constant overeating. Yes, that's it. Like mm-hmm. it, it's super interesting, but I think most people overeat and as a result, they feel lethargic. Mm-hmm. And then you can go to the other side of things. I, so I have like a different way of describing how I feel when I'm underfed. Mm-hmm. So when I'm overfed, I feel lethargic. Mm-hmm. When I'm underfed, I feel weak. Yeah. And like shaky. Yeah. And it's a very, and I can tell a big difference between when I'm overfed and not. Performance will suffer on either end. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, like uh, I think a lot of people, hopefully from this conversation, they can find that experience too. Right? I hope so. so. And I, I felt that weakness you're talking about actually in some strength workouts. And those were days I was honestly, I wasn't underfed for the day, but I was for that session. So yeah. I should have had a couple rice cakes right before the session. Sure. And I started doing stuff like that and, or a banana and that yep. little bit of quick carb, kind of a carb cycling thing yep. right before the session, got me through it, felt strong. And then I'm back in my deficit. So yeah. Yeah. yeah, it's super helpful. Right on. Um, I want to follow one of your training plans, man. Dude, it we is should do so it. on. We should In do fact, it. Uh, I'm going to, I'm going to send them to you. Cool. I'm going to, if you're willing to, we could find out what level of coaching yeah, uh, yeah. is not too invasive. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Let's do it. But I'm really excited. This is something I've wanted to do for a while. Sweet. Um, and I recently got a trainer road account. Ooh, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. As you know. So, yeah. so yeah, this is gonna be great. Nice. I like this, man. This will be fun. Yeah, um, I'm going to tell you right now. Yeah. I would love to hear honest feedback. Um, and obviously I'd love the audience to hear honest feedback. Um, but yeah, I'll send you the programs. That'll be fun. Good online stuff. Yeah. We'll document and share. And I know I'm in a build phase and I'm going toward nationals, but I've neglected strength training a good amount this year in favor of, well, not, not, there's no excuse for it, but I've just spent the time that I would have done strength training on just focusing on hip mobility and some of the things that I've really found to be helpful with working with my knee. Right. Nice. Yeah. Um, but I feel like I need to incorporate more on the strength side of things, especially because the first mountain bike races have happened and I felt really weak. So, Oh yeah. <laughs> so yeah. Um, well thanks man. Uh, for people to find out more about you, they can find you on Instagram dialed health, uh, yes. on the internet. We're at yeah. Dialedhealth.com. Cool. And, uh, that's D I A L E D health.com. Awesome. Yeah. And, uh, if you don't mind, I shamelessly Please. plug a couple programs. Please so, plug. Yeah. So I have a couple online programs that you can go on and buy. I also have three different workouts that you can download to your phone for free. Cool. Um, they're all phone adaptable. You could do it on your computer if you prefer. Some people even print them out, but basically each program has full phases. Um, and I should say that there's two, there's an off season enduro training program and a mid season enduro training program is what you'll see on there. So they are specified to those two categories at this moment. Uh, lots more options coming soon. Big thing this summer, which I'm excited about. However, those two days apply to a lot of people. If you're not doing anything and you are doing enduro and really want to take it up a notch, I really recommend you do it. Uh, you can use the discount code dialed fam. That's all caps D I A L E D F A M. And you're going to save, is my math right? Over, you're going to save over $25. It's going to be over 25%. 
Nice. So it's going to be rad. And uh, I'd, I'd really encourage you to do it. Yeah. We've got promo codes, people. Promo codes. <laughs> Use it. Sweet. And then send me an email. Ask me questions. Um, I'm fully available. Get on my uh, Instagram. Shoot me a DM. Let me know what you want to see. I have free workouts, videos I'm posting constantly. We've heard and, from a lot uh, of uh, cool listeners stuff. that have done that, that have uh, that have reached out to you, gotten help, or yeah. become an online client of yours. It's cool, man. It's yeah. awesome. Yeah. And Make also, I better. really want to invite you to come check out the studio if you're local. Um, I'm, oh, yeah. My studio's in Granite Bay. Uh, funny enough, I was training a client who found me through the last podcast I did with you oh, guys. Cool. Nice. Uh, so it's incredible. Small group training one-on-one is really my specialty. So go ahead and uh, come on by. Cool. Thanks, man. Thank Appreciate you. this. Uh, if you guys are listening to this, uh, please support Worldwide Cyclery. They are awesome. Uh, you can reach out to them uh, just by going through mtbpodcast.com, click on the store banner and check that stuff out. Check out their YouTube channel, check out everything else they do and follow them on social channels. They put out funny, but also super entertaining content all the time. Not unlike you. Yeah, um, so uh, anyways, thanks everybody. We will talk to you soon for the next episode. Hopefully Steven will be back and uh, hopefully we can make Derek come around here over the hill a few more times uh, before the end of the year. So yeah, be good. Consistent. I like that. Cool. Thanks everybody. Thanks. Hey guys, Jonathan here. Just wanted to thank you again for listening and let you know that if you like the song that you're hearing now and the one that you heard in the intro, it comes from Wave Riders Entertainment, my good friend Tommy Walter. Check it out if you're looking for more beats like this or some awesome tracks to listen to. We'll talk to you next week.